Ah. Mama. Mama. We made it. What it, what it, what it do though. That just always feels so fucking good. Can I clap? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our harmonies are getting very tight. You feel me? Yeah. Just melodic with it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Mama We Made It podcast. You got your two favorite uncles with you Uncle Nushi, Uncle Roushi. And we got a very special guest, a special, special guest in the hey. building, Mr. James Supreme, everybody. Hey. James Supreme. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Man, I'm just, I'm happy to be on. I appreciate you guys, you know, extending the opportunity. Man, yeah. it's, it's, it's our pleasure. You guys are doing incredible things with this podcast and, you know, I'm just happy to be part of it. So. That's cool. Thank love, you, love, my brother. Thank I truly you. appreciate it. And shout out to Luam for even, you know, setting this up. A truly special soul. Thank you so much. Love mm-hmm. you. Thank you, Zama. Um, James, welcome. Man. I'm here. I love it. We're I'm here. here. I love it. It's all spoken as ever. I'm here. That's no, a beautiful good. thing, bro. I love that. It's crazy because we got introduced and, you know, we really had a, we had a conversation before setting any of this up. And I just really knew that this was going to be incredible because we connected on the ethos and, mm. and on the true uh, level of vulnerability in which this platform is. Mm. And it's a beautiful thing, especially when you know that the guest knows what they're walking into. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I just love the fact that vulnerability and just honesty in the human side of this journey has become so not only sought after, but accepted and appreciated. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, behind every smile, there's a story. Mm. You feel me? We're out here in a world where our best lives are being showcased, even though we may be going through our deepest, darkest times. And, you know, everybody's on this like success hunt (laughs) while we're really not focusing on self-love and personal love and really being able to look in the mirror and smile within ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Imagine a world in which not only you were searching for your greatness within, but your friends around you and your peers around you were open to hear of the transparency of us as human beings, mm. you know what I'm saying, and how much more, how much further we could all go by being comfortable and free to express our thoughts and not feel like we're being judged in any way, and yep. more feel like we're being um, caressed and coddled. You feel me? Yeah. Um, so absolutely, we're getting ready to go there. Oh, you feel me? Go. Oh, oh, we're going, go. James. Where did it all start for you? Where were you born? Man, I was born in Nyack, New York. Where's Nyack? Nyack, New York? Nyack, I've never New heard York. of that. I know. I always have, like, if I could whip out a map right now, I, <laughs> yeah. I would. Because I always tell people, you know, when I'm from, I'm, I'm from New York. And so where I'm from is, is called Rockland County. Okay. You know, it's like Lower Hudson Valley. It's outside of the city, but it's not all the way upstate. Mm. You know, it's like Got this you. little pocket, you know, not too far from Jersey, Paramus, Jersey, you know, White Plains across from the Tappan Zee Bridge. It's mm-hmm. like in that area. Got it. Got um, it. And it was an interesting mix, man. You know, a lot of the, the my friends, our, our families had jobs in the cities. And even though we were kind of like, you know, in a suburb of, of New York, mm-hmm. it was still very much influenced 
by everything that was happening for in sure. the city. For sure. And so, you know, the way we dressed, the way we talked, the music we listened to, what we liked, what we didn't like, what we accepted, you know, our just behaviors was Absolutely. influenced by things that we didn't even understand. Yeah. Wait, know? how far from the city were you? I would say 35, 40 minutes. Okay. From so the city. are you taking like day trips and stuff down or anything? Or are you staying? For the most part, I didn't really stay. Oh, in the city at all. Oh, really. wow. You know, it was just like it was its own world. That's interesting. You know, and we had our hoods. We had our projects. You know, really dynamic because I lived on a street that was mostly, you know, filled with Hasidic Jews. And I remember being, you know, the only person that could help them out on Saturdays. And, bro, you know, so <laughs> I'm just jumping in. I'm just going to just connect the dots right here. Let's connect them. This is such a funny thing that you say this because I have to explain this to people. I live in um, an Orthodox neighborhood yeah. uh, right here in Beverlywood. Yeah. Uh, my wife, who's black, yeah. uh, she she's experienced that as well. And now we'll have like guests come and stay with us, right? Yeah. And every time we have a black person yeah. stay with us, I have to give them the warning. Like when you walk to your car or outside on a Friday late afternoon yeah. or Saturday, yeah. someone's going to say, hey, <laughs> Can you turn off my light or yeah. turn on my light or turn off my stove? Yeah. Wow. Or, yeah. yeah. It's such a funny thing. I'm Jewish too. Wow. And I just, I just find right. the whole thing hilarious. Like, what do you mean someone's going to tell me to come in their house and turn yeah. on their stove? Really? Like I had you no know? idea. I don't even think we had a, like a real education around it. That's it was just, so, that's just how it was. That's so you know? funny. To and me. then down the street was, you know, left side projects to the right down the street projects all the way down the street you know projects yeah and so you know it's just an interesting dynamic you That's know crazy um both my parents still together Incredible. and you know i grew up with that with that um that family background and you know i'm my, I'm, my family's from haiti you know i'm a wow. first generation haitian oh nice and so you know growing up my friends were either from Jamaica or from Trinidad or from Mexico. And so I never really had many, you know, white friends growing up. Mm. And that becomes an interesting part of the story. Uh, you know, right when I, I, I find out that I'm moving to Georgia. So I lived in New York from, you know, the time I was born until I was about 14 years old. Okay. And this was like, I remember my eighth grade year. Um, middle school my parents would take trips down south they were looking at houses uh, i just thought were you a, aware of it or i, was I thought it, it was a free crib i'm like oh okay cool my parents are out of town i'm gonna go hang out you know i didn't really put two and two together that they were actually in the process of moving wow. and i didn't get the <laughs> i didn't get the the memo until it was a week out from us moving wow a week out a week out and so I just graduated middle school, was looking forward to high school with all the friends that I, you know, grew up with from kindergarten. And my parents just tell us, you know, hey, we're, we're moving. Oh, and man, the time, they just dropped it oh, on yeah, you. It was, it was like a bombshell. My whole life changed. Yo. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, I can't think about this right now. Mm -hmm. So my friends and I, we started making music. And not a lot of people know this, so I'm really getting you yeah. know, deep in this bag. I started recording music with my friends that summer as a way to kind of escape that reality of being torn apart. Wow. You know, I guess we thought, you know, if we made music, there'd be something that we could always kind of bond and, you oh, know, wow. send music back and forth if I wasn't, you know, there. And so, yeah, I remember we started what we called Swag Records. Swag, Swag Records. Shout you know, out to y'all. Crazy. We were on MySpace. And so... 
I got a cheap microphone from Radio Shack. I think at the time I might have been using my my computer, desktop computers. They used to have the little microphones attached oh, to yeah, the top. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, fast forward the story a bit, end up moving to Georgia. I start high school seven days after we move. Wow. And that was like, it was a traumatic experience for me. You know, mm. imagine growing up, you know, in this melting pot. Yeah. And then, you know, my first day of school, I encounter what was racism. Holy shit. Head wow. on for the first time. Now, you know, I was kind of in this bubble yeah. growing up. I was going to say, just to take it back a little bit, because yeah. I want to spend some time in, in your upbringing. Yeah. Just to, to really show that huge transition on a yeah. bigger light. Mm-hmm. So growing up in, in that part of New York yeah. where it's pretty, I mean, it, it seems pretty diverse from what you, you describe and also just like New York being New York. As a kid, what kind of kid were you in? Was, what are the things you were into in terms of like, not just like New York culture and things like that, but like it's in terms of creative or sports or arts or things like that, like in your upbringing, what was that like? It was an interesting dynamic. I think growing up, you know, my parents being from Haiti, I never really felt like they encouraged much, uh, like, you know, the creative side of us, you know, for the most part, you know, I had interests and, you know, I might have, you know, been uh, been enrolled at the YMCA for swimming lessons or or karate. But, you know, I didn't really feel I could say, hey, I'm interested in this. Can I do this? You know, it was more so my relationship with my parents at the time was, you know, we're your parents, your son, and you know, you do as, as we tell you. Yeah. And you got a roof over your head. Yeah, you got a roof over your we're head. We're paying for it. You're in our house. That, that's what else do you need? <laughs> you know, what else do you need? And so I always kind of looked at my friends as like an extension of my family, you know, extension of the family. I kind of wish mm. I had. Did you have siblings? I had siblings. I have okay. siblings. I have uh, two sisters, but at the time I just had one sister. Mm. Um, and so, you know, Growing up, I spent a lot of times with my friends and just being really wrapped up in what they were doing mm-hmm. and what they were involved in. And so, yeah, I guess it was some sort of like identity crisis for the beginning, you know, half of my life. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was into rap because my friends were listening to whatever was out, you know, sure. Jay-Z versus Nas because sure. we had to pick sides. You know, for that sure. was kind of how, how, you know, I was I guess, brought into into the music scene. And I remember my first CD being 50 Cent's Get Rich or Die Trying. Yeah. Like, That's a solid everybody at school have, was yeah. talking about this 50 Cent guy. And, you know, he got shot nine times. And, yeah. you know, I remember having my mom bring me into, you know, CD store. I couldn't buy it at the time. So, you know, she got it for me and we played it all the way home. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love it. And, you know, it was, it was interesting. Played a lot of basketball. Could have sworn I was going to be in the NBA. Love it. You know, basketball. <laughs> it was music. It was girls. When we started to realize, wow, girls are actually interested in us. Let's start dressing up. Let's start start like going to the mall and yeah. you know spending our lunch money on, <laughs> on, sure. on clothes and yep. you know making sure because at the time my parents would buy me two pairs of sneakers for the school year a pair of white sneakers and a pair of black sneakers and so i'd start getting creative in the sense where we'd go to you know champ sports and they would have these sales where you can get like four or five different color tees for like twenty dollars yeah. and they would have the uh, the shoelaces, and so I yep. couldn't switch out sneakers. I would switch out shoelaces. <laughs> I love it. Hey, hey. Well, my mom was the same way. It's crazy. <laughs> like, growing up, literally, she would only allow me to buy things that were on sale. Wow. And it got to the point where 
I was literally like, yo, I was buying the sale items, mm-hmm. but they amounted to more than the item that I wanted. Yeah. And I was like, wait, how, do, how is this working? And she's like, you just got to learn to shop smart. Yeah. I'm going to reward that. Yeah. If you shop smart, but if if you if you want to get something on your own, you got to make your own money. Mm, wow. It's crazy. Remember the first like real pair of sneakers I had outside of like whatever we were getting from Payless uh, were the G units. Mm. And I remember my mom like making sure I looked at the price <laughs> at the register so that I could remember <laughs> how much <laughs> and what it meant at the time for her to be spending this much money oh. on a pair of sneakers. Wow. Treat those sneakers like they were my first car. Or oh, they were, for sure. Know. What was the dynamic of your mom and dad like? Like, how were the, how did you look, see them as as a kid growing up? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I spent much time with my parents growing up because mm. I was in school and my mom was working. You know, she's a nurse, so she was working the the night shifts. So she would be you know at the house in the morning. We'd leave for school, and then as we were coming back, I remember her leaving for work. And then my father, similar thing. They both worked similar shifts. And so we kind of, we had a, a, a nanny, you know, who kind of r- raised us. Wow. You know, she made sure we ate, we got off the bus, uh, we went to school in the morning. And yeah, it was, it was interesting. And then, of course, on the weekends, my family and I, we would go to church every Sunday. We'd go to Haitian church and my father played the trumpet in the church. And so when, you know, when it was time for me to pick an instrument, I picked, of course, the trumpet, the trumpet awesome. for sure. And uh, yeah, it was it was interesting. So I didn't really start spending as much time with my parents and with my mom specifically until we moved to Georgia. Wow. Which Did you was, yearn for that as a kid or were you just kind of like in your kid shuffle? I was quiet, man. I was a quiet kid. And but, but it also sounds like just the camaraderie of your yeah. friends too, yeah. Yeah. and and being you know really a, a part of that. Yeah. I mean, it's just unique to have an experience just of like beginning to fourteen years old mm-hmm. with the same group of friends coming up. Yeah. That's that's rare, you know. For sure, it's rare to like know kids when you were five years old up to fourteen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you really build those kind of deep relationships with your friends because it becomes like family like any, absolutely you know a lot of these guys longer mm-hmm. than um a lot you know family members you, absolutely it's, just, it's crazy you spend way more time with a them. lot more time yeah and day in and day out day in and day out and um where it's like and also as a kid it's just not really cool to be around your parents too sure. i remember yeah. spending more time with my friends than, sure yeah you know, i was spending time with my family and yeah. i didn't see at the time anything odd or you know wrong with that i was like oh this, this is these are kind of like my extended family members yeah you know were you guys free to run around as kids like what yes yeah, you like- know my parents would go to work and we would go and hang out at the block and you know just get into you know some trouble yeah and it was cool because i was never the kid to start trouble i was never the kid to really like go and pick fights i was just around kids that would do that for sure and yeah you're just very impressionable young you know as a a kid seeing all the stuff that we would see and you know it was it was interesting times man i feel like you know especially like elementary to middle school is like really developmental when we first start thinking about you know our dreams like even like childhood dreams when they start telling you you could be anything you want (laughs) you know just work hard and you can like live your dreams out were there did you have any aspirations as a kid of like what you wanted to be and where you saw your life going? Naturally, it kind of crescendos and changes when we start becoming young adults. Yeah. 
But at that time as a kid, were, were you ambitious? Did you have an idea of what it was that you dreamed about wanting to become? I think it was a basketball player first. I think for me, when I found out that Kobe Bryant and I share the same birthday, I was oh, like, oh, yeah, the stars shoot. are aligned. This is it. This is going to happen. <laughs> yep. I was in the fourth grade. And he happened to be my favorite basketball player because that was, I think the Nets and the Lakers series were like the first real games I watched mm. through and through. And so I was like, oh, man, this is guy number eight, Kobe Bryant, you know, searched him up. We have the same birthday. Yep, I'm going to be a basketball player. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> and then that turned into, well, I want to be a rapper. Yeah. And... Then later on, it turned into, well, my mom wants me to be a pharmacist, so I guess I'm going to be a pharmacist. Wow. Um, and yeah, just evolutions of what it was that I thought I wanted to be. For sure. Growing up. And a lot of that sometimes, you know, were influenced by, you know, what I was doing in that particular time. Like I'd play basketball every single day after school with mm -hmm. my friends because that's how we hung out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had a basketball hoop in my backyard. And so my house was like the place we would all kind of meet up mm, for sure yeah a lot of my early memories are you know beating friends in bas basketball or you know walking down the street to you know go meet up with your know, other friends to then you know get into some other things he made sure to say <laughs> beating friends yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i was winning every time the, the hoop dreams were real it yeah. wasn't oh, just some fake man. shit yeah. what was that like for you what was going through your head when it got dropped on you that y'all were moving? Because that's like Man. earth shattering. Yeah, yeah. And especially with such a limited time to even process that. Process that, <laughs> exactly. What, what was going through your head? Was there resentment? Was there angst? Like what? Absolutely. Take us through that time. All of that. I think for me, I, I remember thinking, wow, there goes my life. You oh, know, wow. At the time, I just thought my friends were everything to me, mm -hmm. you know, so there's this opportunity to go to high school and to, you know, graduate and to, you know, continue life with, with these friends that I've had since the beginning and sharing all these memories, sharing all these memories. And I won't have that now. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't talk to my parents the entire car ride to Georgia. So we drove, I think it's like 14, 15 hour car ride. Did not speak to them at all. Didn't get out at the rest stops. Didn't like want to participate in any of the visits to friends' houses on the way. Yo. And I was just, I was just upset, you know, I was upset and it wasn't until later on that I realized that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me, <laughs> moving, moving to Georgia. Crazy. Yeah. Man. I couldn't imagine just like, even how scary that must be, right? Like going from a place that you're so comfortable in, that, you know, an area you lived in, you know, everybody it's, it's home to at an age, especially for like kids becoming teenagers mm -hmm. where that's the most impressionable time mm -hmm. you have the most angst just by default fact you like wake up you're like ah <laughs> <laughs> i i'm a rebel <laughs> like i'm upset yeah i'm, I'm upset <laughs> what can we rebel against uh, <laughs> um that's like automatic and so having that already and just being like i would look at it as like being separated mm -hmm. you know in I, I could imagine being like totally um, just terrified of the whole thing to, yeah. to be real, like aside from being sad and mm -hmm. missing friends and all this stuff, just totally scared. Did you have a feeling of that? Were you, were you kind of like scared of this new experience at all? I don't even think I got a chance to really be, be scared because the quick. process happened so quick. And, mm -hmm. you know, for me, I was just upset and angry with my parents to even <laughs> think about, uh, 
what it's a process. Yeah, yeah. It's a, to process the whole situation. And, you know, not only was I removed from these friends that I was going to go to high school with, the high school I ended up going to was a brand new high school mm-hmm. in oh, Georgia. Wow. So that dynamic was completely different than any of my other friends that went through, you know, traditional high school that was already around. I remember we spent our freshman year in the back of a middle school as our school was being built. Holy shit. And so, you know, our entire ninth grade class, we, you know, were in and out of these trailers that they had set up in the back of this middle school mm. down Do the street. you think that was a blessing almost in that you were coming in brand new and then everybody was experiencing yeah. brand new? Looking back at it, I think it was. Mm. And I remember one of my, you know, my first friends had a similar story to me. He was born and raised in New York and his parents were Jamaican and they told him, hey, we're moving to Georgia. Mm. And he ended up moving to the same subdivision as, as I did. And wow. so we were able to connect you know, we were the kids with the afros wearing Timberlands in 90 degree weather. <laughs> we were like, where are you from? Are you from New York? You know, we automatically knew. For sure. Yeah. When you, you know, you mentioned, you know, like growing up, um, struggling just a bit with your identity, mm-hmm. you know, and being, you know, going with the flow of your friends and what's mm-hmm. around you. Going to a new place, it's always an opportunity to kind of check your identity, yeah. right? You can either be a new person or you have to really quickly figure out, you know, who you already are. Mm. Did you have, was there a moment like that of, of mm-hmm. where you kind of had those talks with yourself or challenged yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, the first day of school was when I, I think I was telling you, I was mentioning this, I experienced racism. Yeah. And I had to realize, wow, like I am a young black man in America. This and is America. What was had, that experience? You know, I was I was curious as to why everybody was wearing these flags on their on their shirts. I, I didn't understand what the flags represented. And then, you know, somebody pulled me aside. and I'm like, yeah, those are Confederate flags. Oh, my <laughs> God. And so I'm like, oh, OK, cool. You know, this is the situation. <laughs> I don't know what this means, but OK. You know, I, I don't think I ever learned that yeah. in middle in middle school. Sure. Or elementary school. I don't remember, you know, going you're, you're over talking that about kids class. at school. Yeah. Kids in school. Yeah. Belt buckles, you know, the T-shirts. <laughs> like everything. Like, OK, it must be like some logo for, you know, a team that I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I, had I no must idea. be a new designer. You know, what team USA is
I, I think I started to realize, man, I'm good at adapting. I'm better at adapting than I thought I was. Mm. And that's critical. Oh yeah, very. I had to. It was either sink or swim. And so I had to learn how to navigate completely different social structure that I was used to. Yeah. And it helped because for once I was being tasked to think outside of what my friends were thinking, mm. yep. you know, and I was just, I guess, more so encouraged to really find out what I liked, what music I was into outside of, you know, everybody else. What, what made I was, you you? Yeah. What made me me? What I like to wear, mm -hmm. you know, and. I remember the skinny jeans thing was a huge thing for me in high school. This was like 2007. And all my friends in New York started to wear skinny jeans. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to wear skinny jeans because <laughs> no one else around me is doing that. Yeah, and I, and I, I became the only kid, you know, outside the skaters wearing skinny jeans. I feel and you. And so, you know, I began to find these little identities. And, you know, I was a sneakerhead. So I was collecting Jordans and, all you know, saving my lunch money to have the freshest pair. Yep. Um, yeah, man, it was interesting times, man. You don't really get to think and reflect on all this. So I'm like, you know, finding different, I guess, pages of the book yep. that I might've forgotten just through this conversation with you guys. For real, yeah, man. And it's incredible, bro. Being, cause like we we're so focused on what's ahead of us yep. that at times we really tend to forget how formative, what made us who we are in this day and age. You know what I'm saying? All of those experience really accumulate to develop us into who we become and who we are becoming. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes we're so focused on who we're going to become later that we don't get to appreciate the process. We always talk about the process and the journey and all of these things, but everything that has already gone past seems to just kind of be on layaway. Um, and it's a very important part of us. Like it, it develops us. Like being, Just being able to be like, look, I moved from New York to Georgia and what at such a critical and pivotal time in your life, like where you're really coming to terms with yourself and who you are and at this stage of life and being able to be like, look, being taken out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. allowed me at this stage to really start understanding who I was and who I want to be. Whereas in that time, if you stayed in New York, maybe you just yeah. kept it kicking with the group. And, and it's weird to think, you know, when you do have that opportunity, most kids don't. It's either figure yourself up out or try to fit in, mm. right? And if you know kids for a long time, there is no fitting in. You just you kind of grow up with them. You're like, I'm for in. Sure. Yeah. Nothing to fit into. For We're sure. Here. We're already here. <laughs> We're here. Um, so as you're kind of discovering yourself and trying new things and trying to like really tap into your own identity, mm. were you also finding a place to fit in to whether it was a, a, a group a new group of friends or that one person was there any of that going on yeah i realized i wasn't into clicks and so i was able to you know hang out with friends over here you know the people that i became closer to in you know gym class and then i would go hang out with the people that were you know in my math class and you know people that were on the basketball team mm -hmm. or then people that didn't do any sports and weren't you know cool at all and i was just able to kind of maneuver and, and navigate without having to be associated with you know a particular group yeah and you know compared to being in new york i would have had to pick sides like sure. you know mm -hmm. growing up i think in middle school we started to you know 
get in fights with kids that lived on the other side of the neighborhood just because they lived on the other side of the neighborhood. You know, and it's like sure. inherit beef from older cousins and <laughs> brothers. And it's like, what in the world? When you look back at it, it's like we really were at war with each other you know, in a sense, sure. because of where we were at on a map. Yeah. Mm. It's crazy. To think <laughs> about, I don't even know where I was going with that thought because it's just like mind boggling. Mind boggling. Yeah. Well, you're taken into a, uh, an environment now where you really do get to f- figure out what actually fits. You're not thrown into something that's, you know, was predated yeah. or that you fell into. There, this is like a brand new blank canvas. I looked at it as, man, we're all kids that live in the suburbs right now. Like, yeah. you know, kids in my high schools that wanted to get in fights or this and that. I'm like, yo, like, we're, we're kind of beyond that. Like, we don't live <laughs> in the inner city. Like, your parents are retired right now you know like, <laughs> Yo. it's, it's not the vibe it's a For whole sure. different dynamic you know i live in a cul-de-sac like I, you know <laughs> we live in a subdivision i didn't even know what a subdivision was we have like a a pool that's open you know three months out of the year like it's just it was a different mm-hmm. uh place and so i would look at you know the, the, the kids and what they were doing and you know just like not be down with it because it just it didn't make sense to me to be you know living in this nice place and to act like you didn't have any mm. sense or that you weren't brought up a certain way for sure you know, you know? Um, so yeah it kind of helped me avoid i guess falling into you know anything i could have fell into in high school whether it be gangs or you know just uh, stupid stuff mm-hmm. you spoke on your relationship with your parents mm-hmm. kind of changing when you went mm-hmm. down to georgia mm-hmm. How did, what was that like and how did it kind of develop for you? Man, it was interesting because, you know, we, we drive to Georgia and, you know, we unpack and then my dad's like, all right, I'm going to go back to New York now. And I'm like, wait, what's happening? Because my parents are still together. Yeah. We just moved everything our entire life to Georgia. My parents had told me, I think right after we moved that they were pregnant, that they were expecting my sister Jasmine. Wow. And then my dad is telling me that he's not going to be with us. Like I had no, I, like we never had a conversation about it. I never wow. got to express how I felt about wow. not really understanding what was happening. And so, you know, he went back to New York so he could continue working. Oh, okay. And so he would work three weeks out of the month and then come spend a week with us oh, and then go wow. back to New York. And so that was a completely different dynamic because I was the man of the house and then I wasn't the man of the house and then I was the man of the house and then I wasn't the man of the house. Wow. That's so interesting. And so I started to like, man, like my life is really over. Like they told me that we were having my sister Jasmine. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm not going to college now. Like there's, there's no, you know, super dramatic 14 year old. Really? <laughs> yeah, was, my was my life's over college. again. Yeah, the rap theme, my life is over twice. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And now over. I'm gonna be a father too. Just, just, just to make sure Man. my life is over. You know? Let's double down on it. That's crazy. Yeah. So wild. did it? Did it? How did that affect your relationship with your mother? Yeah. Man, I, I just was angry all the time, and really? I think it was just because my dad wasn't there, and you know, I felt like he wasn't there, but he was, you know, he was there. But we didn't talk about those things. Mm. We didn't, you know. I don't really remember speaking to him outside of, you know, how are you doing? You all right, cool. And that was that, Mm, you know, so I was going through personal changes and and going through life and, and starting high school and, you know, somebody I felt like I could be able to, you know, talk to about it wasn't really there. So Mm. I ended up taking it out on 
my mom. And oh, I remember like wow. just yelling at my mom because I knew I could and, you know, I could get away with certain things. And yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting time. It was like, I think I was 14 and my sister Joanna might've been eight or nine at the time. And so, you know, I was kind of like her disciplinarian as well. And, it, but then I was still very much the son and I couldn't mm-hmm. do certain things. And then my mom would try and, you know, ground me and, you know, it was just, whole dynamic did you feel abandoned yeah i felt yeah i think it for me it was just like i didn't feel a connection anymore i mm-hmm. felt like you know parents on this island myself on this island mm-hmm. you know i felt like this huge disconnect mm-hmm. um and so you know i just did my own thing for the most part was there ever a point within that like high school realm where it switched or was it like it just yeah. maintained i think it switched when i got a job and i started having to you know pay certain bills and you know assume more responsibility and you know really see wow okay i'm getting ready to go to college i'm going to leave home you know my sisters are still going to be here i have to set a good example now because mm. my parents are going to be left with them and you know my sisters are watching everything that i'm doing and mm. how i'm interacting with my parents i think there was a moment where i just became a lot more aware mm. you know of how important my relationship with my parents was not only For to myself sure. but to my siblings sure yeah to, to be a positive example absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. um it's crazy because i mean two questions or two points is is one you know i can imagine just moving like you're looking for some type of anchor some type of familiar mm-hmm. familiarity yeah familiarity 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 <laughs> there we go. you know what i mean and the only thing is really your parents mm-hmm. you know um so when that's gone i can, I can only imagine like a piece of that one thing that's consistent, one thing that's, you know, comforting gets taken away. I want to know kind of personally how you dealt with that and those emotions aside mm-hmm. from being mad at your mom, but I, I'm talking about like you with yourself mm-hmm. and getting through that as a kid. Um, Cause that could be, you know, as resentment builds up and with, with already the things you're going through, and really without like a huge outlet to communicate mm-hmm, that it's not sure. like you're going to your group of friends and yeah. spilling it. Yeah. You have to look internally, right? Mm-hmm. What was that like for you at that time in your becoming and figuring out that process? I think it was interesting, man. Like, I think that's when I first experienced depression, mm-hmm. you know, is being locked up in my room and not really feeling like I'm at home, even though I'm very much at home mm-hmm. and, I listened to a lot of Kid Cudi, you know, and I think I resorted to music. I feel like Cudi saved a lot of young yeah. lost souls, man. Yeah. For, he, he let us know that it was okay and that like somebody we looked up to was going through this. Yeah. All of us were men on the moon, lightweight. Yeah. So I was listening to these words from Kid Cudi and I was like, man, this is, this is resonating so much with me because mm. my parents don't understand. Nobody understands. And so I confided a lot in music. Mm. And, you know, discovering artists and, you know, it was that time in music where it was starting to be okay to sing and 808s and Heartbreak dropped, which was super, super formative for me, man. It was like, wow, like this, it's my favorite Kanye album, by the way, because I used to listen to that album. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to that album every single day on the bus ride to school (sighs) and I would sing those words and I'd really feel Mm. what, you know, at the time I thought he was saying. And yeah, I think I just 
I just held a lot of it in. Mm-hmm. I internalized a lot of it. Man. But through the music, though, and even just listening, and that's what's so cool about the power of music is like just listening to it mm-hmm. gives you an outlet. For sure. You know, you don't actually have to like be a performer or do mm-hmm. something. Just actually listening and connecting with lyrics, with emotions, with those messages is tremendously powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the really special, like unique things about music mm-hmm. is it's one of those art forms that is so heavy weighted on emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, look, it could be anything, right? Yeah. But like you can put your meaning into music and mm-hmm. find that with it. And like what you're saying, like it's saving a lot of souls. I, th- I, I really think music has truly saved a lot of lives. For sure. In, in a very big way. For sure. I mean, look, it's like, it's beautiful to be able to, especially when artists have these platforms, right? And they're speaking from a level of truth, right? And it's wild when, you know, we all know this, being in this industry, right? When when the industry comes in and tries to manufacture authenticity and connection and all of these things, there's something special about artists that have really gone through pain and have gone through life and are able to channel that and put it out into their craft. Like, that's just a beautiful, magnificent um, product of living. You know what I'm saying? And it's so many kids gravitate. That's why, like, I love Pac growing up. Mm -hmm. Like, Pac to me was your cutty. Wow. Right? And although... Although he was really narrating from the streets, like the message and the activism and the outlook on the communities really got to me and allowed me to really start just seeing the world differently, right? Music connects to us in so many different ways. And it's one of those special things where as kids, sometimes we can't confide in our parents. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can't confide in our teachers. Sometimes we can't confide in our friends. But then here comes these artists that literally we feel are speaking to us, yeah. right? It's not like we can have a convo with our mom or dad and be like, what do, what, what do we do when we're dealing with this? But when you hear it in a song and you're like, wait, hold on. You, go, you went through that through? Let me run this back. Let me run this back. Let me run this back. And I feel like music becomes our therapy, especially in adolescence. Yeah. Um, that's incredible to to really like understand the juxtaposition of your family and also your your just youth and then how music kind of came in and just wrapped around you like a blanket yeah. and was just there to keep you warm yeah. keep you satisfied you know what i'm saying keep you from feeling like you were alone you know what i'm saying did you have any teachers or anybody outside of your group of friends or family that was kind of played a, a pivotal role in just being there for you or guiding your light at man, that time? Man. At that time, I couldn't. I couldn't point to one one teacher. I could say though that I started to look at my education differently. Okay, and I started to look at that as a way out. <coughs> You know, as a way to express myself, because for once I finally felt like I was starting to 
really developed. Like I was starting to be good in, in history and be good in all these classes and, and average, uh, uh, whatever, 4.0 in high school oh, wow. um, okay. for, you know, the first half of it. Mm. And I hadn't felt that way before. Mm. Growing up, I kind of struggled with with school. It was That's like so interesting. Yeah. And it's it's funny. I was having a conversation with my sister, um, Joanna, who's the oldest of my youngest sister. And she was telling me, you know, she's been spending time at home now, now that school's out. And she's noticing that our youngest sister is starting to struggle in school. And she was just telling me, yeah, she's just not really understanding. And, you know, when we'll try and teach her things, she'll already go into it from like that feeling of that she won't understand it. Mm. And I remember those feelings. Absolutely. And so when I was in high school, I started to finally see, okay, it's cool to be to study, to really work hard for your grades. Mm. And I had nothing else to do. You know, I lived in the I middle of nowhere, you. Georgia. So I really started to take my grades more seriously. And, you know, I had plans to go to school in New York. So I, you know, every summer I would go back to New York just to hang out with those friends that I didn't really get to have that high school experience with. We'd catch up, we'd go out for two months and then I'd go back to Georgia. And I wasn't doing anything productive. I was just hanging out with my friends. Like, yeah. That's just all I wanted to do. Instead of for doing sure. internships or getting a summer job, I was just hanging out with my friends. Sure. But, you know, throughout that, I always had in mind, okay, I'm going to go to college in New York so I can continue to be close to those friends. Mm. And my guidance counselors didn't send my transcript to St. John's after I had applied. Oh. And so I ended up getting a letter from St. John's. I was like, you know, thanks for applying. You know, we couldn't accept you because we never got your transcripts. Whoa. And I was like, wow, that was a shock. That's unreal. Wow. So then that led to the only schools I applied to being the in-state schools in Georgia. You know, oh, Kennesaw State and, and Georgia State. And so what? Yeah, it was interesting. It was an interesting time, man. Life ended for the third time. What in the world am I gonna do? You know, I wanted to be in New York so I could be closer to the city to have that experience that I didn't have growing up. You know, we knew friends, parents, and brothers and sisters that would go to the city and, you know, hang out, but I never had that chance to do it. So college was gonna be the opportunity I had to make sure. up for that. And the story changed. Wow. Did you? That's that's insane. Like your arc keeps going. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like you walk up to the clip, to the mountain we and got fall right this. down. We got through this. We got through this. And then what happened? Fall right out. Um, did you, aside from wanting to be in New York and experience this kind of different lifestyle through college, was there like a, uh, a dream or career goal or something that you wanted to be were any of those thoughts coming in or was it just like, I just want to get out of Georgia, experience yeah. this life. I just want to get out of Georgia. Cool. And so when my mom was like, what do you want to do? You know, I was like, I don't really know. And she was like, well, I want you to be a pharmacist. And I was like, oh, all right, I'll be a pharmacist. Yeah, just so, like that. Yeah. Just like that. I accepted, um, Georgia state without even going on a tour of the campus because I realized, okay, of my two options, if I go to Kennesaw, I'll have to stay at home because oh. it's too close to really justify living in a dorm. <laughs> yeah. And so that wasn't an option. And then Georgia State, which was downtown Atlanta, it was 45 minutes, close enough that I could go back home on the weekend if needed, but far out 
that I could stay on campus. Absolutely. Mom, dad, guess, guess I got to live in the dorms. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> you know, and I sold it too. At the time, the dorms that I uh, had applied to live at at Georgia State were the number one dorms in the country. Oh, wow. Really? So I had this whole presentation and, you know, I this, love this, that. Is, this is it. This is the school. And I didn't even take a tour. And I was like, yep, this is the school I'm going to. It's in the city. It's going to accomplish exactly what I wanted, you know, St. John's to accomplish, being in the city and being around a bunch of different people I had never been exposed to before. Sure. And I'll be able to get out of the house. <laughs> and they were, they were cool. And they were cool. Great. You know, I ended up, you know, getting the scholarship that ended up paying for like 80% of my tuition. Wow. Incredible. You know, didn't really have to take too many student loans out. And I was able to do so comfortably. So, were, you, were you excited about that opportunity, even though it's coming off the, the grounds of not getting into St. Yeah. John's? I couldn't wait. Oh, you're, so you're just, you're still wait. pumped. I was, you know, you know what? Maybe this door closed, but there's a reason why, you know, I'm having to go mm. to this school. That's incredible. I'm going to figure it out. I mm. mean, when the third time's a charm, you start to look at it that <laughs> with a little more ease. Yeah. It's like, okay, this happened again. We've seen the light at the end of the tunnel. Let's run with it again. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. What was that? What was your college experience Man, like? Young chemistry major going in. <laughs> <laughs> for real like my first week I was I think I was still 17 my first week or two in college and I couldn't go to any of the parties at the clubs because I didn't have an ID mm. and so a friend of mine um, would start to shoot photography for the party promoters and it's crazy because at the time the party promoters on our campus um, you know were headed by these guys um, Tune Day who you know manages drama wow. and is part of LVRN he was like the head party promoter on our campus wow and so he had you know the guys the, you know the students that wanted to go to the parties get the discounts and you know they would be the promo team they would go out and pass the flyers and you know be able to get in the club so i i thought for a second that that was going to be my way in um i never joined um okay. that was like my first encounter with with tune day and um and with just the whole nightlife, that whole scene. And I was meeting people that were, you know, creatives. Like, you know, my good friend at the time was, you know, a photographer. And, you know, other friend of mine was part of this fashion organization mm -hmm. on campus. And, you know, a lot of my peers that looked like me were very involved on campus. Wow. And so for me to go in seeing that and, you know, a lot of those relationships formed really, I guess, for me early because I seeking that out you remember I, I went to high school where i didn't have upperclassmen so i didn't have people that had been in my shoes before sure, and sure. now i'm going to college and things are starting to change because i'm finding mentors in these guys that had been in my shoes yeah you know and then that could tell like yo there's something different about this guy For you know sure. and i think part of it was of course like that summer before college i sold all my jordans like i sold all my sneakers i was like now nah, i'm going to college i gotta like you know get the get these loafers and like change up the whole get, walk right into that chemistry class did you uh, regret that no i think for me it was cool because like these guys street etiquette uh were real wow. big influences on like what i was trying to accomplish with my style i like, feel you know, i'm going to college i'm gonna be around these older women so i have to you know appear to be you know older you know, <laughs> sophisticated <laughs> he had his mood boards you know? up. <laughs> and then i discovered thrifting and then it was, it was over with it was like wow you can get gucci loafers for thirty five dollars, yeah. you can get these ties, you know, these blazers, J. Crew this, Polo that. Man, interesting times. Oh my goodness, I'm just like reflecting on this as I'm like, absolutely, going back. 
it's crazy what that exposure can do just to to anybody. Like when you think you have a direction and you're just going like aiming towards this goal that you create because that's just what it is. Mm -hmm. Just simple exposure is so, so key. And then building a community among that. And like you said, these upperclassmen, these Mm -hmm. people like, wow, they look like me. Mm -hmm. They're into the same type of stuff I'm into. And whatever you're you're trying to channel they're giving you the path to channel it because they're you know these footsteps in front of you that you can see okay this person got to here he did this that and third Mm -hmm. okay cool if i want to do this on campus then i have to kind of start doing this and for sure involved and it's that roadmap yeah yeah it was a roadmap i hadn't had before and atlanta's Especially at that time. Oh, man, 2011. It was a hotbed for the culture. It was popping off. Like my first ever industry anything was Future's album release for Pluto (laughs) at Stankonia. Wow. (laughs) The history there. Man, I'm this freshman wide eyed and I'm like, how how am I even here? Wow. You know, and I started to realize the art of the finesse. You know, I was exposed to the digital aquarium, which was the uh on-campus rental of any like equipment that you would need from laptops to cameras and so i thought okay cool i'm gonna start hanging around you know these guys that are going to these events and i'll I'll bring a camera so i could tag along and i could you know get into these events get into these clubs and get in the scene and so i remember going there as a photographer i love just that. being around future and being around who else was there dj drama <laughs> big boy like Crazy. that was crazy at that time yeah it was a whole different experience i want to ask you this kind of rolling into georgia state realizing the culture Mm -hmm. and just like the different magnitudes of possibilities in terms of just pathways Mm -hmm. right like you're going into college gonna do the sciences You have yep. just that path in mind, oh, and then you come to Georgia State, and it's like dudes are doing party promoting. It's yep. fashion. Yep. It's music. Creativity. You're really attached to music. Creativity is just robust there at that time. Did that alter your course? Absolutely did. I started to see myself as a creative. Yeah. You know, in the way that I was dressing or the way that, you know, I started putting together events on campus, like panels based around fashion, philanthropy, um, and this was like my first month or two on campus and a group of friends and I were already starting to do these things. And mm. so the upperclassmen were looking at us like, yo, who are these guys? Like, yeah. what, are they, what are they doing? We had this whole movement behind us and it was kind of like a play on GSU it was a university. Uh, and so we said, okay, cool. We're going to turn this to gentleman's state. And so wow. very much like gentleman's state. Yeah, man. It was just, how we dressed, how we moved. It, it, it lightweight was the blossoming of swag records. You feel me? <laughs> <laughs> the reincarnation of swag records. You feel me? The gentleman state. So, yeah, I started to to do all this, all these different things that kind of led into a business. And I remember, you know, taking my first chemistry class and just thinking, "There's no way I'm going to get the f- through four years of this." No, uh-uh. you know, was able to pass that semester. And then my second semester, my freshman year, I actually failed the first ever class I'd failed in my life. And it was the second chemistry class. Wow. Was it OCHEM? It was, I think, the second part to it. And for me, it was like I had four A's that semester and then one F. Jeez. And so here I am, I guess, at that point, at the lowest place I'd been at. And 
I had a decision to make. I was going to either ride this out four years or decide, okay, let me change my major to fit what it is that I'm actually doing and what I'm starting to be involved in, which is more so business and how to market things. And so I figured, okay, I'm going to switch my major to marketing. Mm. You know, I had some mentors in college that, you know, were marketing majors and they were doing, you know, different internships every summer and they would go to New York and have their housing provided for and they, you know, get their checks. And, you know, it was a whole goal of mine to get this internship in New York to help transition myself to, getting back to New York. Mm-hmm. So throughout high school, I'm trying to get to, to New York. College, I'm trying to get to New York. And then I end up in LA with you guys on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Yep. I love it. What was, um, what was that feeling like of being a part of all this and kind of getting like hit upside the head to this entirely new you? discovering things about yourself that are actually more authentic and real and natural to you. And, you know, as you, you've gone through, you know, as a youth of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with my friends, with my community, I'm just kind of thrown into this mm-hmm. to high school where you're trying to really, uh, you know, find your identity, tap into little things about yourself. Now you're in college and this incredible boom happens and now it's like the world comes to you to show you who you are. What was that, that feeling like of, was it, were you excited? Were you intimidated? Were you like, what was that kind of evolution that you started to see yourself, especially going there with your chemistry, yeah. you know, agenda, mm-hmm. you know? It was tough, man. Cause you know, as exciting as it was, it was also, you know, it was a lot at once. It was a lot at once experiencing all this. And, you know, being at a place where I was I I was stretching myself so thin Mm -hmm. that first semester, those first two semesters in college, because I just wanted to be, you know, to be part of something. You know, Mm -hmm. I finally had mentors that were able to, you know, show me some guidance. And I decided to just take all the advice, you know, and do everything that everybody wanted me to do. And it got to this place where not only did I fail a class, but I also I'm realizing that I'm just going by life as a people pleaser. Mm. And that was a part of, you know, growing up and developing that I just I, I wasn't even ready for it. How'd you discover that part? Man, it was like I was just unhappy. And I just I spent, I think, three months that summer after I failed that class without a cell phone. And my cell phone had broken. And so I spent like three months of just being in this depression. Nobody could really reach me. And I would just stay in my apartment all day. Life is over number four, right? Life there. is over number four. <laughs> four right? Right? Cell phone's bro. gone. Cell phone's life gone. Is, life is I really still over. this class. I don't know what I'm about to do. I gotta figure out a way to change my major. And you know, I'm, I'm afraid of upsetting my parents at the time because they were very much like, you know, in the back of my mind, like you're gonna be a pharmacist. You're gonna be a pharmacist. And here I am. I just moved off campus, so now I'm in my first apartment having to figure out, you know, how to live on my own, cooking, and, you know, it was just, it was a lot, and I remember staying in my apartment every single day, and one of my best friends to this day, Justin, um, he would come by my apartment every day and, like, fail at getting me out. (laughs) (laughs) Every single day would come over, and I'd be like, nope, not going out, and so he just, all right, cool. Shout out to his resilience, though. Resilience. And, you know, he would just say, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to stick this out with you because, you know, I'm not going to just let you. That's a great friend. Amazing friend. 
Awesome. And he'll come back in the story because he, you know, started doing a lot of parties in Atlanta and through those parties met a lot of upcoming rappers at that time. And he's now made in Tokyo's DJ. Mm. Incredible. And so, yeah, shout out to Justin who helped kind of help me navigate a very dark time in my life. Awesome. Where I had to figure out what I wanted to do. And so. That's a real friend. Yeah. Real friend. Real, real friend. Shout out to your real friends. Yeah, for real. Everybody shout out your real friends for real. And it's crazy to hear that was a dark time. And I'm glad we actually tapped into that because um, it actually seems like the most vibrant time, you know, with with all this new incredible opportunity being thrown at you. Um, That's kind of also like a testament to the ebbs and flows in life. Yeah, man. Where you can be in your highest highs and then reach your lowest lows. But each and every one of those experiences, as I'm sure we'll continue to to see, is very formative. Mm -hmm. Because you can't... It's crazy when... I just don't think the highest of highs is sustainable. Mm -hmm. Especially like when we're growing. right? We really have to understand what lows are to dig within ourselves and find ourselves in these moments. And and I think it's, it's been actually very pivotal to see the phoenix kind of rising mm-hmm. after every one of your low moments, yeah. right? You've had to go through that. You were beaten down. Mm-hmm. And it also seems like every one of these lower moments forced you to internalize wow. yourself, right? And internalize what made you happy. You'd always been the kid that was rocking with the group. Yep. And then always with the kid that, you know, just found comfort in, okay, cool, I'm in this area. In high school, I'm the upperclassman. I'm finding myself a little more which allowed me to kind of blossom when I got into college and see the different opportunities and really take initiative, but also appreciate the upperclassmen, right? And then this moment with the class where you failed put you into this funk, but this funk allowed you to really dig deep again Mm -hmm. and in isolation. Because I feel like a lot of us, especially in those ages, shield ourselves from that growth by just searching for being around people. Yeah. And just by searching for having our friends there so that we don't have to think about it top of mind, yeah. but it's still there. Mm. Just chilling in, in, in our subconscious. Yeah. But you had to deal with it head on. And it, your cell phone had to do a shitload to Man, do with it. It's crazy. I was so on my own island. Like, I remember responding <laughs> to my homies and we would have conversations via email. <laughs> yo. <laughs> like, yo, what time are you pulling up to the party? Quick send. Like, send. Yo. Refresh, refresh. But yeah, it really tasked me to dig deep, you know, and I I started to look at it like, well, it doesn't get any lower. It doesn't go any lower than this. Mm. You know, I'm at my lowest low. And yeah, then I started to look towards like self-help books. I started Mm. to begin. I began reading more. And that was another part of my childhood that I kind of skipped out on because reading wasn't cool. For sure. You know, where I grew up. And. Yeah, for me, I just started to take, I guess, initiative in, in learning outside of the classroom a bit more seriously. What kind of self-help books? Ah, uh, man, I remember I read The Secret and my mind was blown. Because that was during the time where it just came out, right? Or a little I after? I remember how I, yeah. how I even stumbled upon the book. I might have just been going through like, I don't know, just researching some influential people to me and you know seeing what they were reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got a copy of it on the online PDF version. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that book and just kind of seeing a different, seeing faith through a different lens. Mm. Crazy. What did that do for you? Um, 
because there there's always that moment and it's funny like when you tap into the self-help world whatever it may be uh, for me it was uh the book um rich dad poor dad ah. you know i never thought about like financial business or anything and i'm like oh that's how you make money i read that one too what that's how it works like blew my mind and made me literally see the world and every decision i made not just to make money but just like it shapes your goals it shapes your path like your strategy perspective. your whole perspective so i can imagine something like the secret mm-hmm. during a dark time and not just the book but what those books or what those things can just unlock the doors that they can open mm-hmm. in your mind what did that do for you being at that low point being unlocking that part of your mind mm-hmm. And then taking that next step. Yeah. I think it just created a hunger for more knowledge mm. outside of what I traditionally had been taught or what I thought was, you know, right. It really just led me to start reading other things. Like, I, I think I, after The Secret, I read The Alchemist. Mm. That's my like favorite book of right all there. time. I read that book and I was like, wow. Wow. Unreal. That book literally to me is... <laughs> for real. I, yeah. I read that book when I graduated high school and I visited Iran for the first time. Oh wow. So imagine, I didn't even know wow. that. Bro. Wow. wow. So imagine. And I literally got it at a, a wow. at a bookstore in Iran. Wow. Wow. So I was in Iran. Sorry for the sidebar, but I was wow. in Iran and it's so crazy to me because I got to see all of my family for the first time. Right. But what I also got to see, and it was a very transformative time for me because I was getting ready to go to college, and I saw such a lack of opportunity in the country. Mm. I was visiting my cousins. My cousins literally scored in the top point zero 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 one percent in their math tests and in their college tests and all these things, and were just going to rudimentary schools and not having any accolades. They'd be in NASA if they were yeah. in the States. Mm. So I saw such a... Lack of opportunity, and then I started reading The Alchemist. Wow. I literally finished Alexander Dumont's uh, The Count of Monte Cristo when I got there, and then picked up The Alchemist. I read The Alchemist four times when I was in Iran. I was wow. in there for three months. But that book is truly the quintessential story of the journey, mm-hmm. and the quintessential story of opening your eyes and seeing around Pay you attention. and letting the world call in and letting the way of the world really guide your wherewithal, mm-hmm. if you will. And it's crazy how transformative that book is. Like I've given that book as presents to almost everybody wow. I know. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if they hadn't read that book, that's one of those books that if you don't read books, if you're really not into books, this is one book that you need to read mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, you know, discovering power of manifesting and you know discovering and finding your personal legend and paying <laughs> attention to, to the signs that was just the omens such man. an eye awakening you know moment for me and that really i think allowed me to go into this next um part this next journey of my life and be prepared for it because i was like this is what i've been reading this is like I feel it now. Oh, wow. I, I know which direction I, I, I should be moving in. Oh, you started believing it. I started believing it, yeah. 
That's crazy. Well, so coming out of that, what was that direction? Man, it was interesting because at the time, you know, in my head, I had this, this internship that I wanted to do. It was this internship. I was going to be a buyer, uh, buying intern at Macy's in their corporate office, you know, to tie in the whole fashion together. I thought that's what I was going to do because a mentor of mine, you know, went ahead and did the same program. They went to New York and I'm like, you know, after graduation, I want to have a set job. Mm-hmm. And head to New York. And head to New York. <laughs> Finally, you know, my degrees, marketing, business, like it all was tying together. And so I finally got that internship and I remember, you know, hustling so hard in New York, you know, during that time. And, you know, I spent two months uh, at that internship, you know, first person in the office, last person to leave. And then, you know, a group of friends decided, you know, they wanted to go to OVO Fest in Toronto. And this is kind of where the next part of the story begins. Mm. And for me, I was like, you know, I'm a logistical kind of guy. I thought to myself, okay, do we have tickets? You know, they're all sold out. How are we getting in? Do we have a place to stay? And how are we getting there? And so... All reasonable questions. All all, all reasonable (laughs) questions. And this was like during the last week of my internship in New York. And so, you know, I'm going to get this job offer at the end of this week. I'm going to confirm that I'm going to be, you know, at Macy's upon graduation. Like my life is moving, you know, in the direction I thought I wanted it to move. And then... I start looking into tickets and how to, you know, get into OVO Fest and StubHub and all these different things. And I saw a tweet. I was using Twitter like Google. And I saw a tweet, I think 20 minutes after it had been posted, you know, that week I just spent the entire time I was at work kind of just multitasking, going yeah. from whatever project I was working on to figuring out how to get into OVO Fest. And I saw this tweet and it was from this guy, Jamil Davis, and it pretty much you know, said, hey, I need help working OVO Fest. Email my assistant, you know, serious inquiries only. Mm. And to me, I was like, whoa, what is, who is this guy perpetrating to be like this guy that's the plug? You know? <laughs> Let me Google who this guy is. And so I Google who this guy is and it turns out he's, you know, Drake's tour manager, Little wow. Wayne's tour manager. Jamilio. And I had no idea what a tour manager did or what that entire dynamic was, but I knew if I wanted to get into the show and then get my homies in to the show that I needed to somehow connect with this guy. And so I'm like, all right, you know, I've been in a corporate environment this summer. I know how to how to work this. If the email is, you know, if his assistant's email is Tyler at blah, 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 then his email must be Jamil at blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, I come up with this bright idea to email them both. And I email them my whole life story. And immediately, like a minute after I sent the the email with the, the, the wittiest subject line I could come up with, Jamil hits me back and says, yeah, I said to email my assistant, not me. Thanks. And I was like, whoa, I just spent the entire summer in the super corporate environment where if they didn't like you. They would just tell you they liked you. And this guy I just emailed to help just said, nah. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was crazy. And so I'm like, oh, you know, my bad, my bad. I, I thought I messed up. And so now the clock's ticking because OVO Fest is, is this, this weekend. I think this was like a Tuesday. OVO Fest was like Sunday and Monday. And I had to figure out a plan because at that point I told my friends, no, we're going, you know, and as soon as I got that 
that, that, that contact, I remember telling my friends, yo, let's book this Airbnb. Airbnb was brand new at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, let's book an Airbnb. Like I got us, like I got, I found the plug, you know, you guys rent a car, get to Toronto ahead of me. I'm going to get on this Greyhound after work on Friday and I'm going to meet you guys in Toronto, you know, Saturday we'll relax. And then Sunday and Monday we'll be at this festival. I ended up not getting a response back. Mm-hmm. So now it's Wednesday. Clock's ticking. I don't hear back. Thursday, I still don't hear back. I followed up on this email. And now it seems like this isn't going to happen. Wow. But I was so bent on it happening and manifesting. And mm. I read The Alchemist like a few months prior. Yep. I read The Outliers. I was ready to make Your this happen. Your intentions were you know, intact. My intentions were in the right direction. And so I emailed or I hit up my friend um, in Toronto random sidebar i had been on tumblr and i would post pictures that i would take on my iphone i was an iphoneographer at the time mm. and i became friends with somebody that asked me you know do you, are you taking all these photos this was like the year prior to all this mm-hmm. and you know we became pen pals and so she was the only person i knew that lived in toronto and so fast forward a year later i'm thinking to myself how do i how do i finesse this how do i figure this out i'm like yo Oh, girl is in Toronto. I'm just going to send her these emails and I'm going to tell her exactly what to say. And the fact that she's in Toronto and she can pull up is going to allow me to somehow get the intel from her as to where I need to be, when I need to be, and open up the door for myself and my homies to go to OVO Fest. <laughs> so I sent her this, uh, this email. I'm like, look, just send them this. Tell them you're in Toronto, ready to meet. And she sends it off. Meanwhile, I'm like, this is happening. Like I figured it out. This is happening. So Friday comes, I pack a weekend bag. I go to, you know, my internship. It's my last day there. Go to this internship banquet. I get the job offer from Macy's, uh, upon graduation, I'm going to be working there in this program. And so then I get on the six o'clock Greyhound to Toronto. And right before I get to the border where I would have to turn off my phone, I get a call from my friend in Toronto who just said, hey, they they hit me back. They asked me if I could come into the, you know, to the amphitheater tomorrow at this time. I think you should come. And I was like, yo, I'm on my way there. Wow. And so literally the the things are just starting to work in my favor, because if I would have been at the board, I would have turned off my phone and that would have been that. I would have missed that call. Yeah. (laughs) Showed up in Toronto and, you know, who knows? So I get to Toronto. I'm still in the same suit that I wore to work because at this <laughs> point in my life I'm thinking oh music business it's a business I have to wear a suit <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like my way of processing for sure it's so, beautiful <laughs> I remember dropping off my bags at the Airbnb telling my friends yo I got us I'm about to go meet with the plug now <laughs> had no meeting nobody knew I was coming <laughs> yeah. and I remember thinking to myself how am I going to play this when I get to the security have a suit on so that means i'm somebody that needs to be there right in my head and i'm going to finesse i'm gonna finesse and i'm gonna cause a little bit of confusion with the with the security guard and you know i'm gonna walk up there really confident tell him yo i have a meeting with jamil like i'm I'm late like i just got off my bus like i need a you you know time's ticking time's ticking but you got and so (laughs) i i caused just enough confusion to where you know he has to call for backup and he's like uh all right cool i'm gonna you know i'll call whoever whoever so he calls security and Drake's security guards end up coming out and I'm like, oh man, at this point, like I've been, you know, studying the camp and I'm like, oh man, okay, this is, this is about to get interesting. They take me backstage. So now I'm walking all throughout this venue and they're doing rehearsals and I walk into this management office and I'm staring at Jamil 
who's not expecting me and he's looking at me look at him look at me and then he just says who is this guy in a suit get him out of my office <laughs> and and you know if you know jamil this is a very jamil like sure, thing to very say but i had no idea who this guy was and i just spent 12 hours on this greyhound from new york there's no way i'm i'm about to leave none this, this this place empty-handed like get him out of my office get him out of my office and so i think the security guards were just as confused as i was as to what was happening Mm. and it was like 15 seconds of the it just 15 seconds felt like 30 minutes of silence and luckily tyler who i was kind of corresponding with back and forth on email until he stopped responding walks in and he's like james and i'm like Tyler and so he's like yeah come in my office real quick and so I go to the room next door and he's telling me that he had just reached out to me because somebody had dropped out somebody who's volunteering dropped out and he wow. wanted to see if I was in Toronto by chance to be and able you to were help at out the venue. and wow. I was already at the venue I was already there <laughs> so we immediately hit it off because you know I end up you know getting to know him a bit in that like five or ten minute conversation we have you know, I'm like, how did you get involved in this? And he's like, yo, you know, I, I just graduated college, but I met this guy, Jamil, on Twitter. And, you know, he was asking for help um, throwing this young money party. And I ended up, you know, responding to the tweet. I brought some friends to help. The party went smooth. The next day, Jamil hits me and is like, are you annoying? And I'm like, no, I don't think I am. He's like, all right, cool. I need you in Toronto. Do you have a passport? So then that leads to Tyler going out to OVO Fest a year before that while he's still in school. Then every day since he'd been with Jamil and they were, I think Drake was doing the Would You Like a Tour tour run and it was going overseas. So then Tyler had to make a decision because this is his last semester of college and his professors were just not trying to hear it. Like, Mm. no, you have to be here to take your exams, to take your tests. And he was like, I got to move with this opportunity. So, you know, he ended up figuring out a way to get, you know, his homies to turn in papers or, you know, his girl to, you know, take exams, (laughs) whatever it was to be able to to move with the opportunity. But he also knew if he didn't graduate, then, oh, well, at least he had that experience being on the road because now he was assistant tour manager to Drake. Crazy. And he told me the story and I'm like, how old are you? He's like, yeah, he's a year older than me. He's a Virgo like I am. And I'm like, yo. You mean to tell me this guy is doing all these things and yeah, there's no way I can go back to New York, take this job, you know, at Macy's and, and just culture. be and be satisfied mm-hmm. after seeing the other side of the fence yeah. for wow. the first time. And I'm yeah. like, in that five minute conversation, I made the decision to move to LA to become a manager. And to start working with with these guys, wow! Five minutes changed my entire like direction. <sighs> and I ended up working the festival. It wasn't anything glamorous. It was yeah. literally like you know running tickets up to the box office, making sure, sure Jamil's candles on his office table were lit. <laughs> you know, making sure there was there was ice cubes in his drink, like For just sure. whatever, anything, whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, every and anything. And I was just hustling, making sure anybody that saw me saw that I was moving. And you know, I ended up getting the homies in through the back door. Awesome. You know, I got them into the to the festival, and afterwards, you know. After you volunteered for somebody, they'll usually give you the, man, it was great. You know, if you ever need anything, you know, yeah. let me know. You know, we'll definitely reach out if we're ever in your city. Talk. And I'm like, nah, 
I'm not one of those guys. Mm. Like, I'm too persistent. Like, no, we're going to link. I'm going to hit you. I'm, I'm looking at the tour dates. Like, you're going to be in Atlanta in a few weeks. I'm going to hit you up. And so I go back to Atlanta with this newfound attitude. Like, I'm going to, I'm a manager. I got to like reconnect with all my homies that I remember, uh, doing, doing anything to do with music. Incredible. And so I connect with a homie of mine, um, Junior, who was part of LVRN. And we all went to college together. So wow. Junior, Justice, and Carlin and I wow. went to Georgia State. And at the shout time, out to the whole LVRN. Oh, man. Shout out to those guys. At the time, they were the only guys I knew at the, doing anything productive with music. Unreal. They were managing this artist, Rory. Yep. Unreal. And so I got to see firsthand what they were doing. And I thought to myself, man, I got to connect with, with these guys. And, you know, I think there was a time where I was running into to Junior at the airport every time I would go to the airport. And I wasn't flying frequently. There were like <laughs> two domestic flights. I'd go to baggage claim. Then I'd see Junior. And then the time that did it for me was when I went to... Switzerland. I found out I had an aunt that lived in Switzerland, oh, went to wow. Switzerland for spring break, came back, international terminal, baggage claim, and I run into Junior again. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I, I hadn't, I didn't really understand what he was doing. He's like, you know, I'm just working, you know, moving around. I'm like, yo, I got to figure out what these guys are doing. So, wow. Yeah, I ended up connecting, ended up connecting with them really like 2015 like July, August 2015. And at that time, they were like, yo, 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 I know you know what we're doing with Rory, but I'm telling you, there's this guy named Black. Like, this dude, this dude is dope. Like, I'm, he's going to be one gotta, of the greatest. I'm going to let you, you gotta, know right You got to meet this dude, Black. And I'm like, okay, at this time, you know, I'm nobody that anybody should be introducing the artist to it, you know. And so I'm like, all right, cool, you know, invite him to my birthday party. And I ended up having this party, um, they all come through. Black comes up and he's like, yo, you know, my name is Black. You know, it's good to meet you. Super shy guy. Yeah. all in his face. I'm like, oh, yeah, what's, what's up? Man? You know, and he's like, yeah, you know, I make music. I'd love for you to hear it, you know, but I can't send it to you. You have to, you know, pull up on me. I'm in this crazy situation. Like, I'll explain, but you got to, like, come to where I'm making this music to hear it. And I'm like, OK, cool. Like, you know, I'm the kind of guy that for me, I'm, I'm an energy guy. Absolutely. I'm an energy guy and I'm not one of those guys that's like looking at somebody's followers and like, sure. you know, judging their whole life yeah. and how successful they'll ever be off of their following. Sure. You know? We can't. Sure. You can't. You can't. And, you know, I ended up going by his spot. You know, at the time he was crashing on Justice and all those guys, they, sh they had an apartment. He was sleeping on their couch. So I get there and he's like, yeah, this is my couch. This is where I sleep. And this is my desktop. This is where I make my music. This is where I, you know, I make my beats. And this is where I record myself. I don't do anything else. Like, I'm putting my 10,000 hours in. Incredible. And, Crazy. You know, for me, I just read the outliers. So I'm like, oh, man, like, we're on the same frequency. Yeah. Like, I can tell this guy is going to go somewhere. Because he, sure. you know, is in the same, you know, the same mindset. And he was just so hungry and passionate. And... Yeah, it's just crazy because, you know, obviously, you know, how the story ends up. Absolutely. You know, he's selling out shows. Yeah, it's going to continue to grow. It's, it's incredible yeah. to see that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, back to the story. I end up stalking Jamil and Tyler. They come to Atlanta. I'm texting them every single day. They're not responding. They're finally in Atlanta. They're like, yo, are you free to help work us work the show? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm down. So I go to Atlanta. This was the, the Drake and Lil Wayne tour. Mm. And so after the concert... Jamil's like, yo, you're doing great. I love the, you know, the work you're doing. You're hustling. You know what? I want to introduce you to Drake. 
introduces me to Drake and he's just like, yo, Drake, this is James. He's going to be working with us. And I'm like, what? what? Like, this is my favorite rapper. And you're like, this is how I'm being introduced. You got the introduction to the boy. And I'm like, wow, okay. You know, got to take a picture and, you know, the whole thing. And I was just like, he should have never told me that because now I'm going to work so hard to make this thing work in music. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I've declined this job offer from Macy's. You know, after that, after going to Toronto, like I came back and I just declined the offer. And at this time, like the internship coordinators and directors were like, wait, what? Like you were the shining star of our yeah. internship class. What do yeah. you mean you're not going to accept yeah. the job offer? And it was this whole big thing because then, you know, I was awarded a scholarship and they weren't trying to give me that either. And uh, I ended up yeah. getting the scholarship. But, <laughs> you know, I didn't accept the job offer because I wanted to figure out how to make this music thing work. Mm. I had no experience, never read a book on music, but I knew these two guys that lived in LA that worked with Drake and I figured that was going to be my entryway in. And so after I got that intro, I was like, you know what? I really have to invest in myself because it's not enough for me to just connect with them while they're in Atlanta, whenever for that sure. is. So I, I looked at the dates for this Drake tour and I, I thought to myself, okay, September. And so if you're in college, you know, that means refund season. Yeah. I took my refund and I booked flights to the, I think the show in Houston and there might've been one, two, two other shows that I booked flights to go to. And I literally would fly into the city, text Jamil and Tyler, yo, I just landed. Can I help out at the show? Wow. Pull up to the venue, help stuff envelopes for, for the, you know, VIP tickets and credentials, run them up to the box office. And I would just do that just to be mm -hmm. in the mix. Mm. And I remember I ran out of money and I was like, oh, okay, great. You know, what am I going to do? At the time I had a girlfriend and, you know, she, in a sense, I felt like she was looking at me like, yo, what are you doing? Like yeah. you had your whole situation planned out. Yeah. Yep. You were going to, you know, work this job and be good, <coughs> work your way up. So, yeah, it was quiet after that tour, you know, and I remember thinking to myself, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I started managing uh, an artist from Atlanta and, you know, I would just email anybody with an email address in their Twitter bio, like, yo, please listen to this, my, my artist music. And, you know, two of the only people that responded to me of the like hundreds of emails I've gotten a chance to work with and, you know, I still work with to this day. Wow. And the first person was John Tanners. My artist that I was working with, the artist I was working with at the time knew these guys that went by Earth Gang. You know, and man ended up going to Earth Gang's crib. Like, I think this was like the end of 2014. Uh, Jid was there. And, you know, I just connected and met all these dudes that were making music in their in their place. And they were telling me how they were about to go on this tour, but they didn't have any money to be on the tour bus. So they were renting or they would gotten a minivan and they were yep. driving behind Absol's tour bus so that they could open up for him every single night. Sounds familiar. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy. These guys are on something totally different and i remember one of them telling me that they were starting to get a lot of love from the blogs and one of the people that were showing them love one of the guys that were showing them love was this guy john tanners at pigeons and planes mm -hmm. and so i'm like oh cool if i want to get my artist popping i gotta like email these bloggers and hit up john tanners and so i crafted like this subject line that was just like i don't know connected through earth gang and i guess john ended up opening it and he listened to the artist's music and he was like, yo, this is dope. I'm going to feature it on my five on it series that I do every Friday. And that was that. And I was like, wait, what? 
So I'd emailed every A&R before that. After that uh, article was published, I went back and emailed everybody again. <laughs> Nobody responded. I was like, what am I doing? The only person that responded was this guy, Tunji. Mm. Tunji responded and was like, yo, this is dope. Keep me posted. Keep me in the loop. And to That's- me... That was like, oh my God, yo, we on. Like, yo, <laughs> yo. This was like after Good Kid, Mad City. Uh, he might have, I think he was still at Interscope at this time. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I the, was like, And yo. the crazy thing about Tunji, it's wild even thinking about this now. Like outside of the fact that he was one of the ones that responded back, Tunji has always been literally one of the first people to every Man. single artist that has Always. any potential Always. as an artist. His ear and his wherewithal in the game, even just through his experience, but his ear has always been the most crisp and the most understanding of talent at whatever stage Man. it is. And that's a trip that he responded like that's that. Crazy. That's crazy. Shout out to Tunji, bro. Lord Tunji. He responded, and whether he listened to it or not, to me, that gave me the the gas to keep going. Mm. And it's those moments in our journeys where we're like, yo, I'm thinking about giving up. This management thing's not working. I can't connect through anybody in the industry. Nobody's responding back. And then you get that one, that glimmer of hope, like, oh, man, okay, cool. I kind of want to touch on this get-it-done mentality that you had, right? Because at the end of the day... What you start to realize in any endeavor that you do, you have to just get it done. And you had the wherewithal to just be in the mix at all times. One of these things, especially in the music game, is being around and being seen, right? That's one That's one element of it. But then there's the adding value, right? And you had that five minutes that really changed your perspective and your focus and your life in and of itself. But after that, you decided, okay, I'm just going to get it done. I'm just going to blast everybody. This is my focus. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to keep doing. Keep right? What was going through your head during that time period where it was just like you knew that there was no guarantees? You had these moments where it's like, okay, he's going to come work with us and then radio silence and then i'm gonna just go keep showing up at the tours my money ran out my girl's talking about damn what the fuck you doing with your life i'm actually in the back of my head thinking that as well but i'm not gonna show it to anybody you know what i'm saying but i'm gonna keep going now i'm gonna start managing artists i don't know what the fuck i'm doing i'm gonna keep in touch with everybody don't want to be a nuisance but i need to be in the mix my finesse has to come into play what was going through your head and what was guiding you through that process I think it was just, you know, we have the idea that people have to, like, invest in us Mm. sometimes. You know, a lot of times people think, you know, why is this person not giving me a shot or why is this person not doing this for me? I was looking at it like, yo, I have to invest in myself before anybody can look at my situation and be able to offer any advice or any help because that separates people. And I don't know if I really knew that back then, but I felt like, you know... I got to I got to make this happen before anybody can like start to see any value in what I'm doing and I got to connect with anybody. You know, I'm going to look at I'm going to treat everybody in the room as I would treat the president. President Obama, of course, but for you sure. Know, uh, for you know, I'm going to treat yes. everybody like I would treat Obama if he was in my presence and 
I remember one of the interactions I had backstage at a Drake show was with this guy who was the only person in the room that even talked to me. You know, I'm this guy that's running around lighting Jamil's candles and there was this <laughs> dude who, you know, talked to me and, I, and I, we had a conversation and he was telling me, you know, he, he produced music and, you know, he told me his name. His name is Paul. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, great. You know, I'm great to meet you. Do, do, do I know any of the stuff that you've done? And so I started getting a little deeper in the conversation. He's like, yeah, you know, I, I produced, you know, at the time it was just hold on. We're going home mm. 1985. And so, you know, we start a friendship and I'm like, all right, cool. And as I'm working uh, my magic on these emails, sending everybody my artist music to no avail, I think to myself, okay, cool. Let me, uh, let me, let me reach out to Paul, you know, and, and send him, you know, my artist music. And I sent him the link. I was in chemistry class. It was, it was funny. <laughs> I, for some reason, I thought I was going to like re retake this chemistry class so I could get the F off my record. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up dropping the class, but this was like the first few weeks back in, in class. And I get a FaceTime from 1985 and I'm like, whoa, like he's hitting me up. Like, you know, this is probably a few minutes, maybe 30 minutes after I sent him the link. He, he's FaceTiming me. He's like, yo, yo, who is this artist? Who manages him? Where's he at? Like just super hyped on him. And I'm like, uh, I manage him, I think, you know, like, <laughs> well, what's up? What's, what's going on? And he, I think he was at the, <laughs> he was at the, the Versace mansion in Miami <laughs> doing whatever he was doing, stopped his day to hit me back told me he listened to every single song was like yo i really believe in this like i want to executive produce a re-release and i'm like i have no idea what this means but this sounds <laughs> great like whatever like you know and he was like no no no. i'm gonna send you a spreadsheet of like all these notes that i have for the songs the things that i want to add to them i think i want to go out to atlanta you know get you guys in the studio so we can work on this stuff and i'm like yo this is incredible this is it this is the wow. moment i think i'm waiting for i go back to the artist at the time being an inexperienced manager and i'm like yo i connected with this dude 1985 like he just did just hold on we're going home like he's he's dope like he's incredible he wants to like re-put out the project and you know be an executive producer and you know help help the situation and the artist at the time was like yeah but he's gonna have to pay us though like what's he what's he talking about money wise oh, and i was like wow. wait what you know as a manager i thought wow. i had to relay that information oh. almost verbatim <laughs> wait let, let me let me let me let's redo this Oh, I'm going to say this one more time. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Yo, I want to ask. Man. That had to have not gone well. Yeah, we can get into that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to ask a couple questions. Like, one, what it really means to invest in yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, like, both the application of that. Yeah. You know, because it, it's kind of a... a uh, an abstract thing if you think about it like investing in yourself and i want to touch on the most critical point in so many people's uh journeys right where you have to make that decision of taking the road less traveled or taking the conventional route building everything you did in college working hard achieving that internship opportunity into a job that has security, that you know that you would kill it at, you know, even satisfying probably what your parents are like, that is success. He's following the, the stability is there. This is it. He's following the exact thing. He did this, did this, boom, boom, boom. And now success, right? To go into the polar opposite of scrappy, 
hustling, yeah. grinding, Snakes in the grass. Uns- uncertainty, knowing absolutely nothing, none of the things you studied in school, none of that conventional internship shit is can really help in mm. this brand new music landscape of the wild, wild west that it is. What was that that moment where you made that decision where after you met the guys in Toronto, mm-hmm. after that five-minute conversation where you just knew, we all have that, that instinct, mm-hmm. right? But so many of us don't act on it because of yeah. the fear, because of the no it's money. scary thing, man. So I'm always so interested at that moment where you feel incredibly inspired. You feel this is it. This is what I, I'm, I don't even want to do. This is just, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. To taking action and investing on, in yourself, what that really truly means, not just, yo, I'm just going to take this risk, but like really taking it there with yourself. Man, for me... When I had that that five minute conversation with Tyler in Toronto, I was like, I'd never felt such conviction before in my life. Like I knew there's no way I'm gonna be able to go to sleep or go think about any doing anything else for the rest of my life. There's always gonna be this thought, like, what if? Mm. And I don't know, man. It was just like a mixture of being crazy enough to fi- like to think that it would work out and crazy enough to just at the time for me, I didn't think I had any type of support after I'd met after that encounter in Toronto in Atlanta. Like I didn't know anybody that was really gonna be able to help me like put myself, you know, put me in position. I felt at the time the mentality was just very much like, you know, crab in a barrel. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't look to Atlanta as like, you know, what was gonna help me like really, really get to the next level. I looked at what I could finesse and you know, my traveling and being able to like get on a Greyhound and, and, and make a trip somewhere because I didn't know anybody else that was doing that. And so I figured, look, I at least have to try this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there were times where I was like, man, this is so stupid. They're not going to respond to me. Like I just flew all the way to Houston. They haven't been responding to my texts. I'd send off a text and they respond and that would just continue to keep me going. Mm-hmm. But after a while, you know, I'll go back to this 1985 story, you know, you think this is going to work out. You know, you have this great idea. This is, you know, Drake's producer. Artist wants money. Mm. He immediately is like, yo, I'm not doing anything. Like, I don't want to. Nope, nope. I've been in situations like I need money guaranteed. And I'm like, look, we have to like build a relationship. There's yeah. like, we, we can't just close that door. But I wasn't able to communicate <laughs> that mm-hmm. at the time. And you also didn't have the experience. Didn't to have know that experience at all. How what? to navigate, you know, didn't really... Uh, consult with anybody mm. about it and so you know I, I FaceTime Paul I'm like you know what's going on Paul like I don't think he, he's gonna do it you know he wants a little money you know his times are tough for him right now you know I know we're making a you know big mistake but you know this is what he wants so I have to communicate that and Paul being the most humble guy I've ever met man still That's to this, a blessing still to you, this day with that. was just like yo it's all good don't worry about it like I know some music industry guys would you know tell you you're making the biggest mistake and this and that and trust me I get it I understand like mm. don't worry and so to this day we still have you know relationship when I see him you know there's always like that ah man like that's incredible so yeah it was like 
at that time I was like, dang, here we go again. Like another tough time. I'm yeah. finally like figuring this management out, yeah. figuring this management thing out. So I think, and door just shuts. No longer work with that artist. Stopped working with that artist shortly after. So now my ties to music were really just, were limited, you know? And I think this was probably like November from, you know, November, December. Meanwhile, I think I'm a junior, about to be a senior in college. No internship for the summer, no, you know, job opportunity. January hits. I still don't know what I'm about to do. I'm trying to like intern for any studio in Atlanta. Nothing's going through. February, March, I get a I get a phone call from this Dubai number. And I pick up my phone and I'm like, Hello? He's, you know, and the voice goes, yo, this is Jamil. I'm in Dubai with Drake, but, uh, you know, are you still in Atlanta? And I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm in Atlanta. What's going on? He was like, yeah, you know, I managed this G, I managed G Easy. Uh, he's about to come to Atlanta, start recording his second album. You know, I want to introduce you to, to my co-manager. You should go to the studio and help them with whatever they need. I'm like, I don't know what a G Easy is at this time, <laughs> but like uh, whatever's going to help me get into music, like what I'll do whatever at this point. So I connect with Matt, who's his co-manager and, you know, I end up going to the studio. I meet Matt and he's like looking at this video on his phone. And he's like, yo, what do you think of this video? And I'm like, uh, I think this, that and the third. And he's like, all right, cool. Here's this business card. I need you to book these flights, book these hotels. I'm going to invite you to these spreadsheets. I'm going to invite you to these Google Docs. I'm going to loop you on an email with the business managers. And that was that. That was like my introduction. And so I was like, oh, shoot. In my head, a light bulb went off and it was like work that I can continue whether they're here in front of me or not. Mm. I got to really seize this opportunity. And so, you know, I was in the studio sessions, you know, his second album, When It's Dark Out, like when all these records were being formed, like I remember the day he cut me, myself and I, and, you know, we were just talking about how that record is like going to change things. Like we just knew Mm. and I was building, you know, relationship with these guys and just, you know, I was from every everything from you know fashion spots uh food spots in atlanta to nightlife to you know movies like i was just the guy that was just helping them in atlanta for a week and you know booking flights doing all these logistics assisting mm-hmm. and then i think that friday after doing this so i'd go to school go to class go to work and then from like 6 p.m until like 2 or 3 a.m i was in the studio with them every single night for for five days Friday came, they're like, yo, we're going to this thing called Buku Fest in New Orleans, and then we're going to South by Southwest. Do you want to come? And I was like, uh, let me check my schedule. Dude. You know, I go back, I figure my schedule is lining up perfectly with this opportunity because it was my spring break. Wow. So I didn't have to like, you know, skip class. You know, yeah. I was just, I just moved with that opportunity. I got yeah. on the Greyhound, Greyhound to New Orleans. Met the guys in New Orleans, rented, a, got a 15 passenger van, I drove the van after Buku Fest from New Orleans to, to Austin. You know, we get the Airbnb. Um, so I'm the guy that's like cleaning the dishes and like making sure everything is clean in the house, then driving the passenger van to the, to, to Austin, to Sixth Street for the showcase and staying in the, in the car as everybody's leaving and going to the shows so I could make sure I could be there as soon as they were done. Cause then we yeah. had another showcase. Then in between that showcase, I had to grab lunch for like 14 people. Then I'd come back and, you know, pick them up and go. Like it was just like, 
nonstop yeah. in the trenches. In the trenches. That was my first time, <laughs> my first experience being on the road. No book could teach you that. Man. You get thrown it's cra- in. It, it, it's crazy <laughs> yeah. to me because this is this like light bulb. Like literally you put yourself in this position by being go to by doing whatever it took by taking all doubt out of any situation and willing yourself into this mix off of a tweet man showing your worth still not knowing what the fuck you were doing but you were doing right knowing you wanted to manage having a situation go down where your experience the blessing of your inexperience allowed you to to bypass a situation you also had a cat on the opposite side that understood that and didn't discredit you or even like make you belittle you to think that you were doing something wrong Mm. and then you're thinking what do i do what do i do what do i do and then the phone call comes in and it's are you down the rock you have no idea what the fuck's going on (laughs) but you're again putting yourself in that position unfucking believable crazy man and that week was like and that's the learning though yeah so life-changing that's the real life donald passman's all you need to know about the music business because that's you you seeing how this runs you could read all you want and i think that's part of like <clears throat> and just kind of thinking on that point and about investing in yourself is not overthinking just doing mm. just trust in yourself enough to, to get the doubt out of the way and just sure. jump in. You know, there there's so many things of like, you could go there and be like, I don't know if I can handle this. I can't do this. I'm going to fuck up and now I'm done. I'm They're going to hate enough. me. What up? Yeah, my career is over. Life's over again. Like all those things can creep in, especially being as unexperienced, uh, inexperienced and um, never being thrown into something like this that with the, that type of immediacy and also just like high level. You know, man, it was sink or swim. Like at South by that year, there was another uh, intern assistant that had, you know they had flown him out, and it was both of us. And so he ended up not being able to handle it mm-hmm. and got on a flight. Wow! The, the day he got there, got on a flight back home because wow. he couldn't he couldn't deal with you know everything. And how'd you deal with it? Man, I think mm. it was like being humble, you know, and realizing I don't have anything to my name right now. Like anything somebody asks me to do, I will ask them, what else mm. do you need done? You know, I will go the extra mile. And that's just I still have that about myself today. Like I will get whatever needs to get done done because it wasn't handed to me, you know, mm-hmm. in a sense. And so I was just happy to be here. I was just thankful that some guy saw something in me you know in a studio for a few days that would allow them to comfortably be able to invite me out around their team and I met the whole team Mm. and I connected with everybody and that's another thing too you know it's one thing to be around but to actually be invited back and to you know be able to to vibe it's one thing to contribute and then one thing to be one of the guys when you're not Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying like the ones that contribute are the ones that are seen. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks it's just like, oh, we're going to go there and kick it. Yeah. Those are the ones that get cut quick. Yeah. And I remember to my, thinking to myself, man, I got to make an impression, you know, and I connected with everybody from photographers, videographers, the, the DJ, the drummer, everybody 
at the end of that week was able to hit me up and know that I would beat him. I'd pick up the phone. Number mm-hmm. one, they knew like they could always count on me. Whatever number it's was called, I'd, I'd pick up the phone. I'd figure it out. You know, I'd get it done. And they at that time were starting to really like utilize me more. And so after South by, I get a check in the mail. My first ever check in music. Wow. And you didn't know it was coming. I didn't know. I didn't know I could make money in music yet at this point. I didn't know how. Yeah. I didn't know how to make money in music at this point. And they sent me a check. I don't know, maybe 200, 300 bucks, whatever. I was through the roof. Like, yo, I can, I can really make this. Like yeah. that feeling I got when Tunji responded to my email was that same feeling I got over again when I got this check in it's the mail. Validating. It's possible. I can do this. Absolutely. I'm going to keep figuring this out. And so, you know, the next few months I spend being the assistant on call. I remember like I had a gateway computer. Everybody made fun of that, that trip. <laughs> a gateway computer. They weren't Shout even out to making. The Shout out to gateway. Shout out to gateway. Shout out to the gateway, man. computer spot. They weren't. <laughs> the builder block. <laughs> they weren't even making gateways anymore at this point. <laughs> Yo, he got the fucking. The, the first and gateway, last one. The last outlet gateway that remained. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, everybody was in L.A. So they were, you know, three hours behind and I was on the East Coast. So I would leave my ringer on my phone, you know, that way if Jamil or Matt or anybody called me and told me, yo, I need this flight booked, I'd be able to wake up, get the flight, whip out the gateway, get, you know, get the flight sorted out. And I was just that guy. I was reliable. G would hit me up. Yo, I need this for my moms. Can you, you know, look look out and do this and that? And I was just gaining and building that reputation of being reliable. Yeah. I didn't know anything else yeah. Yeah. but how to be reliable and consistent. Beautiful. And so now I'm thinking to myself, okay, cool. I got to get to L.A. again. <coughs> I look at the dates. I'm like, okay, cool. Drake is doing Coachella in L.A. I'm going to fly to L.A. and I'm going to be at Coachella. And then beyond that, I was thinking to myself, okay, now I have to like figure out a way to tell my parents what I'm doing now that I'm not going to do this Macy's thing anymore. And I I figured a clever way to do it was to say I'd focus. I was focusing my career now on on the entertainment side of things. So I wouldn't have to tell them, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm. The vagality works for a little bit. Man. And so I go to, I fly into LA for the first time to go to Coachella. Um, And I remember (laughs) posting something on Instagram. It was like, yo, just got to Coachella at LAX because I didn't know where Coachella was (laughs) in relation to LA. And so I fly in the day before and I remember I got a text from Junior and he was out there. I think uh, Rory was performing and he hit me and was like, yo, are you in LA? And I was like, no, 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 I'm at Coachella. Like I just got to Coachella. I just flew in. He's like, nah, bro. Like (laughs) LAX, Coachella is like two hours away, (laughs) but we got an Airbnb. You should pull up. And I'm like, damn, like, all right, cool. I'll pull up. Ended up hanging out with the guys. How'd you get down there by the way? I'm just curious. I flew out on a frontier, flew out on frontier the gateway of airlines. The gateway no, no, of no. To down from LA to Palm Springs. I or to Coachella. spend that night hanging out with the guys. We ended up going to Bolsonaro for the first time. We kicked it with their friends that were in town from like New Zealand, Australia. I end up, of course, getting on a Greyhound. Shout out to the Greyhound. To, to Indio. And the Greyhound expert over here. I love it. I, hey, I was texting by Jamil. Any means necessary. Oh, by any means. Yeah. By any means, man. I was texting Jamil like, yo, I'm in LA. You know, every time I flown into a city before he hit me back immediately he wasn't hitting me back this time and i'm thinking to myself yo i just flew out i have no passes no credentials i don't know anybody really i'm out in la 
to get to Coachella. On the bus there, I'm texting everybody. I'm like, I'm texting Jamil. I'm like, yo, yo, yo. Something told me to hit up my homie Javi, who was a photographer for G at the time. And I hit him. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, in, the, we're, in, the, we're in the room. Shout out you know, to you should Javi. pull up. He's amazing. Sends me the address. I pull up. I meet Jamil. Jamil's like, oh, what's up? You know, I'm just now waking up. And so I was panicking. I was like, man, this, is, <laughs> this isn't going to go well. And so I ended up just kicking it with them. And, you know, as I walk in the room, though, I met a young lady, tattoos all over. And she immediately starts telling me her whole life story. And I'm like, yo, I just met you. You're telling me that your mom, you know, gave you to your, your aunt, your grandmother and whatever the story was. And she's just so open and she's telling me she does music. And I'm like, man, I have never heard of you, but like, it's great to meet you. Like, I wasn't really thinking anything of it. She was like, yeah, you know, my name is Kehlani. And I'm like, oh, OK, cool. You know, great to meet you. Crazy. And so, you know, she's telling me how she's about to put out this project in a few weeks. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll check it out. You know, of course, she puts that project out and, you know, <laughs> Five, six, seven, eight different phone numbers later, she's yep. exactly where she is. Yep. And she was like one of the most humble people, you know, I met. And I remember thinking to myself, man, like I could really live in L.A. Like if these are the type of people I'm going to meet, I could really, you know, see myself living here. Each experience was just validating man, your intuition. Every every one of those. And Crazy. so Coachella was amazing. You know, I ended up um, going back to Atlanta I figured out a way to finesse an internship that would like legitimize me being in LA because I wasn't getting paid for any of the stuff really outside yeah. of, you know, that, that one time I was just grinding, I was hustling and I got this recruiters info on LinkedIn for this internship at NBC. And so I knew, you know, my parents would be cool because it was kind of like a corporate, you know, steady, yeah. you know, NBC is a global name. I could do that during the day and then at night I could go back to the studio and, you know, the guys are still finishing the album. I can like work away to hopefully making this some sort of like full time thing um, ahead of my graduation. I pushed my graduation back a semester so I could go to L.A. and essentially fail. You know, mm. if I was going to fail, I'd at least have a semester while I was in Atlanta to mm. you know figure out what else I was going to do with my life. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, I get out to L.A., I'm doing this internship. I'm there nine to six, and then I'm going to the studio six to three a.m. and I'm killing myself. Like the first two weeks, I was I was like, it was tough. It was a grind. And then I remember Matt shooting me a text like, "Yo, we put you on a retainer, a weekly retainer. It's not much, but you don't have to do that internship anymore if you don't wow. want to. Like you can continue to to work with us." Like amazing. I was like, "Yo, this is it." This is legit. Still not making much a week, but like, no, this is this is gonna bit be bit this is it, yep. Yeah. And I go back to Atlanta and that entire time, like, I'm just one track to LA. Just like how do, I'm I'm getting I'm going to LA. That entire summer I was uh still paying my rent in Atlanta and the lease was ending at the end of August. And so you know, my roommate at the time, you know, told me that they, he'd been looking at a house and, you know, he had a room for me when I got back from L.A. I was going to be able to, you know, take my stuff from the old apartment and move to the house. The day I was supposed to move into the house, I hit him like, yo, what's the address? I never got the address. And he was like, yeah, we don't got the room for you anymore, bro. Wow. And so my last semester, I remember thinking to myself, yo, what am I going to do? Because I don't want to go back 45 minutes back home and live at home and, yeah. you know. I need to be 
in Atlanta because I'm close to the airport. If somebody calls me, I can make it to the airport in less than 15 minutes. Yeah. Like I got to be in Atlanta. And <laughs> it's the craziest thing. The Yo. day I was supposed to move out, I had a homie of mine, you know, bringing this truck to take my mattress to the new place. I had to figure out a whole new living situation. It was the last day I could <laughs> oh live at that place. And so I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I got to figure this out. And I called a few friends and one of my friends was like, yo, I called a friend, you know, he's not too far from where you're at. You know, he says you can live in the living room. You know, you can put your mattress there. They don't have an extra room, but if you want, there's a space in the living room. You can put your mattress and, and you know, he's not going to charge you any rent. You can just like, you know, spend your two or three months finishing up school and, wow. then, and then, you know, be, be done with it. That's crazy. And I was with a good friend of mine named Nia. And at the time she just started crying. She was like, oh, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Like we went to the place and I never met these guys before in my life. Man, they let me in to their to their home. I set up my mattress in the living room, <laughs> and she just starts crying. She's, She's just crying. like, "How <laughs> how are you gonna? How is this? Uh, <laughs> What's happening? This is, this is yeah." And I was like, "Nah, it's cool. Don't worry. Like, it's it's part of the story. Like, I'm gonna figure this out. You know, I, I need to be able to be here in Atlanta. Like, I was just so motivated. You know, <clears throat> and that taught me how to live. You know, below my means and yeah. figure things out and it's a blessing in and of itself just to have a spot oh man it was a blessing you know i could have easily gone back home yeah it wasn't like a life or death thing but it was like it was very important for me to like figure this out because i knew you know moving out to la i still didn't know where i was gonna live so i knew i was gonna either have to couch hop or you know swallow my pride and do some things that i might not have been able to tell my parents i was doing but that i was doing the continue the story because I came too far to like quit now. Yeah. And it's crazy. Like just talking about all the things you're talking about involve sacrifice, right? But you're not talking about it in that tone. It's, 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 you know, usually when people talk about sacrifice, it's so like so much hardship, so much like it it sounds like just brutal and, 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 uh, grueling and, hard like yeah. like darkness all around yeah there's the tunnel yeah moment. there's just like really hard weight when you talk about what you have to sacrifice to get what you want right but it's so it, it's interesting to me how like because i'm picturing you walking <laughs> into this living room like in my mind you have like your 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 wingspan of your arms on like both sides of the matches, like side <laughs> side stepping side stepping yeah. down a hallway. I mean, like, yeah. all right, we're here. I'm here, but and that dynamic with your friend crying is like For she real. she she's the the represents the sacrifice, mm-hmm. right? That we all uh, learn to understand and and how we think of it, but nowhere in your journey. And your story has that sacrifice has had that type of energy or vibe. Mm-hmm. It's it's been polar opposite to mm-hmm. how we define sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It's every decision you're making. I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna yeah. go out. I'm gonna you know I'm betting on this. I'm a little panicked. I'm figuring out. I don't know what's going on, but you're willing every single time to go to sacrifice it all. Every single time going out to LA, not knowing you could easily on any one of those trips have gone and had no place to stay, yep. been stranded, had no money, figuring it out, 
been homeless for a night. Get a hold of anybody. And there's tons of people that have had that exact same story and it's gone in that direction. But I think your commitment to that with the energy of not even letting it really phase your, Mm. what you're, you're, you're trying to do is such a, a highlight to me in, in hearing this. And it's like, I don't know how many people would, would make that decision to throw a mattress in a neighbor's living room when their parents are 45 minutes away. For real. Like, I don't know how many people would actually do that and not be like, nah, I, I, I'm not going this far. Yeah. You know, we all have a point. And I haven't seen yet in your story you get pushed to that maximum point. And I think the ability to keep going there and keep going there is the reason why these things happen. You survive that. You're willing to go there, For sure. which allow those great mm-hmm. things to happen. Um, it's just yeah. such an interesting dynamic to me. Yeah. I was just following the signs, man. Yeah. Like this internal compass was just leading me in the direction where I felt I couldn't turn back. Like mm. I had come too far. You know, even though it was still very beginning, I was like, I have to do this. Yeah. So if I don't do this now, you know, what's going to happen? I'm going to face some other roadblocks and I'm, what am I going to do? Just give up and quit. And I remember thinking to myself, it's going to work out. And when I asked my homie Frankie, man, who let me stay, like I didn't know Frankie a day in my life. Frankie let me stay at his apartment for three months. Wow. And on the day we met, you know, I was like, you know what, you know, what's, what's your Wi-Fi password? And he was like, oh yeah, it's, it's 93 Supreme, you know, my birth year and my last name. And wow. so I was like, oh man, this is like, Yo. what a sign, like this is going to work out. Like I'm going to be fine. I'm going to figure this out. And it was just like those moments. The omen just dropped. Crazy. Like, that, that's crazy. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. I was like, man. What? That would that would borderline scare me. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> did you know I was supposed I was like, to be here all along? Like, like, okay. He's like, I did. It's like, all right. So that semester, that my final semester in school, I ended up uh, making my schedule uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'd have one class each day from like 4:30 to 7. You know, it allow me to if I had to be, you know, on a flight to Rhode Island, I could leave Wednesday after class and then come back Monday before class because I was still in this trial period, you know, yep. essentially with these guys that I was working with. And I just wanted to be able to be flexible so I wouldn't miss the opportunity, mm-hmm. especially being on the East Coast three hours behind. For sure. And so, you know, December comes, I'm graduating, you know. G's album comes out. Me, myself, and I are starting to go crazy. I've now explained to my parents, you know, I'm, this is who I'm working with. They're starting to hear it on the radio. They're like, okay, cool. They're really supportive. <laughs> my son's on the radio. That, that's what they're telling their friends. <laughs> like, I have no parts on that song, but whatever. <laughs> For you know? sure. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm thinking to myself, I got to get out to L.A. And I didn't really make a plan as to like where I would be staying when I moved out there. You know what that would look like. My whole goal was to get out there and figure it out because I didn't. I'm such a logical person. Like I'm a Virgo, man. I'm so step by step. Like if I would have sat there and thought about every single thing, I probably wouldn't have moved when I moved, and then that would have you know missed that opportunity. So Mm. I ended up packing my whatever I could fit in my uh, in my trunk. At this point, I was already kind of light because I had to fit my clothes in the the closet of this living room you know and my trunk could only hold so much so gave away the mattress put everything in my trunk drove out to LA three days after I graduated (laughs) 
on the way to LA, I'm realizing, oh, I really don't have a place to stay. Maybe I should start reaching out to some people now that I know might be in LA. I reached out to, you know, a homie of mine who I went to school with in Atlanta. You know, he was telling me he, he had a spot downtown and, you know, I might be able to crash, but I might not be able to because his roommates. And I don't know. I was just at that point where I crossed the border. So I'm in LA now and I really have nowhere to go right now. And, you know, I call Matt and Jamil and I'm like, yo, I don't really have a place to stay. Like, please let me know if you guys hear of anything. And so I spend that night, I crashed with my homie and, you know, Matt and Jamil get back to me. They're like, oh, you can, you can crash with G. He just got a spot in Hollywood. You can live there, work from there. And, you know, G's going to be out on tour a little bit. You're going to be helping us here at home base. Like, it'll be a perfect combination. And so I spent like my first five or six months living with G and, you know, working and, and just trying to figure out how to adjust to being in LA. Mm. And I loved every bit of it. You know, like being in LA and being able to connect with so many different people. Like I'm the kind of guy that I'll talk to anybody. I'll connect with anybody. And LA is just link up capital. Number one, you know, let's build bro. Let's let's exchange numbers. And, And so I was doing that and, you know, eventually people start, you know, seeing who you're around, who you're associating yourself with, what you're posting on Instagram. They get curious. And so I had to figure out another way to keep these opportunities going. And, you know, I ended up connecting with my buddy, Justin, who I told you from the from the story before. Oh, yeah. He had just moved out to L.A. with Made in Tokyo, who oh. he was DJing for before any of the stuff took off, like, as I was chasing Jamil around these different states, Justin was starting to work at, I think he was working at Topshop. And this kid walked in and was like, yeah, you know, I make music. My brother, you know, he makes music as well. You know, I want you to be my DJ. I've seen you like do some of these parties. And Justin's like, all right, cool, whatever. Like I'll DJ for you, whatever. And, you know, of course, the record comes out. I want, then Uber Everywhere comes out. And next thing you know, these guys are moving out to L.A. And so we ended up crossing paths at the exact time that we were supposed to because wow. they were building their collective. And there was this artist, Salma Slims, who's part of Private Club. And she had gotten this opportunity to go on tour with mm-hmm. I Am Sue and Mod Son. Crazy. You know, super random tour. And their manager, Mike, had, had reached out to me because he saw what I was doing with G. And, you know, there's always an element to like making things look good yeah and then in reality you're not even either being paid compensated yeah. for it or you, that's not exactly what's happening but i did a good enough job to this where, is where he, perception is reality yeah this is where perception is reality and he thought you know i'm a legitimate like tour manager even though at this time i'd only probably been out to a few shows most of the stuff i was doing was just logistics i wasn't really out there running the show sure I'd be invited to a few shows here and there, but that was to the extent of that. But I didn't let the public know that. I didn't let Instagram know that. Yeah. For all I could, you know, for, for anybody, for, for you know, anybody looking at my Instagram would have thought, look, this dude is doing this. So Mike hits me like, yo, I need a tour manager for Salma. Like, are you, are you down? I'm like, I'd never tour managed before on my own. So I'm like, yeah, I can do it. Like, <laughs> let's do it. And so I remember hitting a Matt and Jamil like, oh, yo, I just got this, this offer to tour manage. Um, this artist and they could have easily said nah you're either working with us or you're not like there's no you going out here working for other people and they were very much the opposite they were like yo it's dope that you're getting clients now 
keep going, go wow. learn, get that experience. Awesome. And for me, that was like, that gives you enough confidence as a person to say, okay, cool. Like, let me really go out and, and, and take this experience. And I remember I read this, this book, this PDF, I don't know where I got it, but it was this PDF on uh, everything you need to know of being a tour manager, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And I read that book and I was like, all right, here, here we go. And <laughs> Tour manager for dummies, let's rock. Let's, let's ride. You know, I rented a minivan and we drove to Phoenix, Albuquerque, Dallas, Houston. And, you know, we're opening up for 10, 10 or 15 people every night. But for us, those were some of our best times because sure. we got to have those conversations in the car. Like, man, I can't wait until like, you know, we're at a place where we can be on the tour buses and we could be doing this and that. And Salma, she was like, yo, I want to be the rap game Tyra Banks. Like, I can't wait until like, you know, Tommy Hilfiger and all these different brands start reaching out to me. And it's crazy because uh, this was like 2015 and or 2016 now. And uh, this past January she hit me and she said you'll never believe it like tommy hilfiger wants to fly me out to be in one of their campaigns Crazy. that they're gonna shoot and i want you to come with me because we were having these conversations that's when you wild. were driving this wow. minivan that's amazing so you know i stopped tour managing like a year ago but i'll get into that but i said you know what let's do it let's go because it was like that moment where i got to see it come full circle, full circle. Yeah. yeah um so yeah i did that tour and you know, industry small. Um, there's another guy named Mike who manages Little Dicky, who the other Mike used to work with. And he started to see, you know, Salma doing these shows. And he's like, yo, who's tour managing Salma? Like, I think we need a guy for, for Dicky. And he was like, yo, this guy, James, he's dope. And so Mike hits me and is like, yo, I want you to come by, you know, meet Little Dicky. You know, we want to look into like bring you out with us for the rest of the year. You know, he had a schedule from like June until December of all these wow. dates and he was looking for a <laughs> tour manager. And so, you know, this is a part of the story where being a bit more prepared and a bit more, you know, experience would have come in handy in hindsight. But I was like, yo, I got to take this opportunity. For I got to sure. like level up. Like right now I'm sleeping on somebody's couch. Like I got to use this opportunity to, to be able to take me from the couch to sure. wherever else I need to go. And I remember taking the gig and I went back to Jamila and Matt again. And I was like, yo. You know, I just got this gig. Like, you know, these are all the dates for the next few months. Like, let me know. Because at the time, I'm still booking flights and coordinating travel for G and doing everything else. And they're like, yo, do it. Go for it. This is great. Like, you're learning. You're getting your experience. You're building your clientele. You're doing all the right things. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going out on tour with Lil Dicky for, for six months. And it was like. That's crazy. Crazy. Save that money. It just come out. And so for me, I'm like, now I'm starting to make more money than I've ever made in music. And, you know, I ended up leaving G-Spot because I'm like, all right, I'm kind of leveling up. Now I have to, like, go sleep on somebody else's couch. And yeah. so I hit up my homie, <laughs> my homie Andre, who ended up uh, going to Georgia State with me as well. He had just moved out here. And, um uh, yeah, he was he was working his accounting gig and he was living downtown. And so I told him, I was like, yo, these are all the dates. I, I'll barely be home more than two or three days of the week. Can you please let me crash on your couch so I can continue to give off this like thing like, you know, that I'm I'm doing things. I'm moving around. I'm not, you know, sleeping on the couch anymore. So people can start viewing me um, as somebody that's doing it instead of like, you know, somebody's assistant or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, it was a crazy experience, man. That that it's it's so important to think just like the reality, the real reality 
of what it means to work in this business, For even sure. at even at a high level, For and sure. what your lifestyle is like during that. How it can be, how the perception and the reality can be so different. But it, like when you really, and this is just for people thinking about like dreaming about being in the music industry or what it really means and, 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 you know, seeing one thing, but truly, truly living a different way Absolutely. in that. It's just so interesting, like still being committed mm. and, and working on a high level with, with high profile clients that are doing extensive tours that have followings and you're on the road and you're getting paid. But, and you're, and most importantly, you're around tons of people oh, yeah. that are like really leveled up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they respect and, the hustlers in the grind. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? They respect yeah. those people that are in the mix and are doing the things cause they know what it is. And to do that with the, with being humble and having grace and dedication and commitment and drive, knowing that financially you might not be there, like For you're sure. still struggling, figuring out, yeah. but it's so beyond that. And like, if you really, really want to be in this business and, and really go after just something that you want, you have to, th that really can't matter. Yeah. It yeah. truly, truly can't matter. That's why like the people that do get in this business and, you know, we, we can talk about it all the time, but it's just like, it's got to be about something much bigger yeah. than, mm -hmm. than the money and the status and the profile. Mm -hmm. There has to be a bigger force. And if it's really not there for you, you're very lucky that it was naturally from that five minute conversation you knew. That's why it's so important. If it's really not automatically there, you have to have a very real talk with yourself to see if there's something you're really going to get into. Absolutely. And I, I've told that to, to artists that are getting in. I've told that to, to people who want to be in the business. Mm -hmm. um, it's a long, hard road, yeah. but none of that really matters because it's the small little things that actually keep you going. Some of your happiest moments. Yeah. yeah. It's also a big blessing. And I've been through this conversation. I've been seeing this as kind of your through line and something that has allowed you to really blossom and seize these opportunities for what they are in the, in the manner that you have in that. Shout out to every experience you had where you were taken away from the group and you had to find yourself. You were taken away from your path and you had to focus on yourself. It The through line to me is you understanding how important you were as a functioning player in, in creating your destiny as opposed to you fitting in to these groups, right? Because you could have easily came into these different situations and said, how can I just mold and just be a functioning vessel in this group? Whereas you were literally trying to understand your value, how you added value to the team, but also how you added value in your bigger scope of wanting to be a player in the game. Mm -hmm. So that, that focus on individuality and self Crazy. is literally to me, what I can appreciate the most about the formation of your becoming. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And that being such a foundational element of understanding self-worth, but also focusing on self-growth 
in the process as opposed to just being comfortable being a part of the scene. Mm -hmm. Because so many cats I feel like can get really lost in the sauce of, oh shit, I'm staying with G. Oh shit, yeah, I know X, Y, Z, B, D, C, whatever, (laughs) right? You knew your actual life wasn't measuring up to what your life was showing. You also knew it was a necessity for you to maintain that image while also leveling up to the point where you could start being that player and actually appreciate and start figuring out ways to live that life. It wasn't like, how do I keep this facade going just to keep it going? It was, okay, this facade is a vessel in my forward movement. I need to maintain this for what it is in my journey but I also need to seize the opportunities and take them as they come to grow and add value to my repertoire to be able to really start moving and shaking. Yeah. One thing, and that's an absolute blessing, bro. And I love that about your story. And I love that about your being. You feel what I'm saying? It's, I just appreciate that mentality. Like that, Hey, that's your mamba mentality, my guy. Yeah. Shout out to you and Kobe having the same birthday also. You feel me? That's that mamba mentality. One thing I want to ask is it's all good and dandy to be getting these opportunities, mm-hmm. right? Especially when you're in college. Yeah. You've been out of college. You graduated. You're getting the stipends where it's like, I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're just able to scrape by and yeah. get by. You're starting to get these tour managing opportunities where it's like, I'm sure you're getting a stipend and it's adding a little money to your pocket, but it's like, it's still scraped by. Are you at a point where you're faced with negotiating what type of money you're going to get, what type of money is involved, how that even works, being comfortable with having those conversations, knowing your worth at this point, and not like... From the standpoint of your producer saying, yo, but like, you need to give me some money, but also understanding, okay, I'm living this life, but how do I start establishing my value? Are these thoughts really coming into play? And how did you maneuver around them at this point? And for me, I was like, what I'm getting paid right now to assist, like, I can't live off this forever. This is just enough to help me, like you were saying, get by. Sure. I have to continue to add, you know, value in places where people were starting to see, look, this guy needs to be compensated appropriately. And so when um, they reached out to me, um, Mike reached out to me about tour managing for Lil Dicky. And he was like, you know, what do you want per show? I was like, you know, I did the math and I was like, yo, if I if I get this per show, I'll be at a place by the end of the year where I can sign on to a lease Mm. and be able to have an apartment in L.A. Got it. So it wasn't much at all, really, compared to what people were probably charging. And, you know, when I asked them, you know, when I told them the price, he was like, oh, okay, that's it. So it was still <laughs> you were like, oh, it was, like, it, was, it was still like, a, you know, this is going to be more money than I've made so far in music. But I definitely could have aimed a little. Higher. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, was, it was great, man. It was a great experience. And, I, and my roommate, Andre. At the time, I was just sleeping on his couch, and I remember him, I think in November, he had to give a notice as to whether or not he was going to continue to live there, and he was like, I don't know if I'll you know, continue to live in this one bedroom. I was like, yo, how about we stay in the same unit and go up to the two-bedroom? Like, I'll go half on you. I'm at this point now where I think I can, I can do that. Mm. And for me, that was like, up until that point, I'd been spent, so for the last year in LA, I was couch hopping. Yeah. And then, you know, 
three months before I moved out to LA, I was sleeping, you know, in somebody's living room. So this is like the first time in like 15 or 16 months where I have like my own room mm. where I can really just like mama <laughs> for real <laughs> for real it might not seem much to you know somebody but yo for me I was like yo this is I got my own bed like this is incredible you know to have that feeling just, again uh, man all from from your pursuit too man it was it was incredible so yeah, man, uh, I did I did a little dicky and then, you know, made in Tokyo, was starting to move around, uh, jumped on to, to day-to-day manage him in 24 hours, who at the time was Royce Rizzi, mm-hmm. who was Tokyo's older brother, who was making music, and um, Tokyo really got involved through, you know, seeing what his brother was doing, and his brother was signed to So So Deaf, um, and... Crazy story. During this time where Royce Rizzi was going into 24 hours, his new persona, yeah, everybody kept it a secret. And so my guy Justin, my best friend, sent me this link to this 24 hours. He was like, yo, this is going to be the next thing. You should like listen to this. And I'm like, yo, this is amazing. This is like my favorite artist out. He only has four or five songs. Like, this is incredible. I was telling everybody about it. You know, I think 24 had a, he had a, a Gmail in his bio on SoundCloud. And so I hit him on the email like, yo, <laughs> yo, this is dope. Like I'm listening to you every single day. And meanwhile, I'm at this point, like I'm around these guys like every single day just about. And they're keeping this story until there was this Royce Rizzi uh, Made in Tokyo show at the observatory in Santa Ana one night. And they pull me aside after months of me just raving about this 24 hours guy. They pull me aside and they're like, yo, James, you know Rizzi's 24 hours? And I was like, no <laughs> Like, I was just, I couldn't believe it. Yo. I couldn't believe Ashton it. Ashton Kutcher was about to run out. I couldn't uh, believe it, man. I was like, there's no way you guys got me for this long. And they're wow. showing me the email thread of me like, I yo, love what's up? Like, yo, let's link up. I'm James. Like, I'm Woo. out here. You know, like, yeah. Meanwhile, like, Woo. I'm tour managing these guys. And That's incredible. Crazy. Yo, we love the really yo, we funny. love the enthusiasm Man. though. You know what I mean? This is really wow, okay. Thank you guys. Life is over part five. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, we end up uh twenty-four hours ends up, you know, revealing who he is. So now it's time to start doing live shows. And I'd connected with this guy, uh Ye Ali through Instagram. Mm. Yay was somebody I kept hearing his name. And so I just was like, you know what? I'm in LA now. Let me just reach out. Let me just cold DM or cold, yeah, hit, cold DM this guy and just say, hey, you know, let's, let's link. And he's shout like, out to all right, cool. Trap House Jodeci. Yeah, shout out to Yay. He's just like, yo, let's link. You know, he sent me an address. I pulled up and um, this was the, this was game seven. We ended up watching game seven of the series where LeBron beat the Warriors. <laughs> And so he ends up inviting me over to this guy Business Boy's place. And, you know, that was his producer. And so we all just had a conversation. We we're just kicking it, chilling. Um, and so a few months later, 24 hours is getting ready to tour. And I'm like, yo, this is great. But I think we should like, we should bring somebody else on too to, to give it another dynamic and another vibe. Mm. And so I hit up Ye. I'm like, yo, would you, would you be down to come on this tour I think it'd be a great look and you know you should bring business boy as well he could be your your producer dj dude so you don't lose 
much time from being back home making music. You guys can make music on the road. Putting the pieces together. Yeah, you know, putting the pieces together. And so, yeah, he's like, yeah, let's do it. We end up going on tour, you know, two weeks, two or three week tour. And, you know, you've been on the road. Tour is something you'll either enjoy, you'll have a great experience, or you'll have, like, a negative experience. For sure. Tour, touring. So for sure. Luckily for us, you know, I was running it. It was a great experience. Yeah. You know, it was, it's all what you make it, too. Man, it's all what you make it. We got to the venues on time. We started our shows on time. We ended up shows on time. And we just had a good experience overall. And so, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, this business boy dude is is dope, you know? I think the Party Next Door stuff had come out that he had produced, and he was just, just a humble dude. And so I kept that in the back of my mind. I'm like, all right, cool. I want to find a way to continue to help this genuinely good guy, mm. you know, further his career. For and sure. Just on, like, you know, being a homie. Like, oh, you know, you should work with Made in Tokyo. You should work with Lil Dicky or, you know, XYZ. And fast forward a few months into 2017, I'm on a tour bus in the middle of nowhere doing exactly what I said I wanted to do two and a half years ago and I realized I'm unhappy. Mm. Wow. I'm unhappy. What was that? I spent these last few years chasing and chasing and chasing this opportunity and these opportunities and I'd kind of forgotten myself in, in a sense of like taking care of myself and overall well-being. Mm-hmm. The what, road is tough. <laughs> in terms of like just defining that, what, yeah. what does that mean? Man, I wasn't eating right. I wasn't sleeping right. You know, I was on the road every single week and, you know, I'd come back and my experience was LA was different because I had to piece back my life whenever I'd come back off from, you know, come back from being on the road mm-hmm. and you're gone four or five days or, you know, four or five weeks at a time and you come back and, you know, LA is a very much like, you know, uh, out of sight, out of mind type For of sure. thing, you know, and For sure. I was just having hard time really connecting with you know people that i'd met on the road and really being able to establish relationships and you know i was i was it's, it's draining man. it was draining it was draining and i literally made a list of all the things i was going to do once i got off tour i told myself this is going to be my last tour uh it was uh 24 hours we were opening up for black bear oh, and dope. sold out sh- tour yeah every single night and I was just unhappy. So I made a list of things I wanted to do when I got off the road. And, you know, I told myself I wanted to get back into, into praying more. I wanted to, to change my diet. I wanted to stop drinking alcohol. Not that that was an issue, but that, you know, I hadn't. For sure. I, I just wanted to do anything that would help me. Clarity. Get different, yeah, get a different perspective. And, yeah. Um, I wanted to get back in the gym and, and start working out with a personal trainer and, you know, I wanted to get off Instagram so I could like really just focus on what it was that I wanted to do. Mm. And then it hit me. I was like, man, maybe I should start. Maybe I should look into like managing producers and, and writers because th- that would allow me to start entering a different area of this business that mm-hmm. I wasn't really exposed to as much after I started being on the road as I was. And so I hit a business boy and I was like, yo do you have a manager? He was like, no, nah, I don't have a manager. I just have an attorney while I was on the road. And so I was like, all right, cool. Uh, I'm going to put together, you know, six to 12 month plan. And I want to talk to you about some stuff when I, when I get off the road, no idea what I was doing, you know, never managed a producer before, Yeah. but I knew, you know, once I get off this road, like I can't tour, touring is one of those things that's you're either going to do for the rest of your life or you're going to do for a little bit and then get out for, for sure. sure. 
and and figured out from there. And all my friends that at, at the time in music that were you know young and starting to you know move around too and tour managing, they were all starting to get off the road. Yeah. You know, I had a buddy who was working and doing assistant tour managing for Drake. He had transitioned to working on the marketing team for Spotify. Got it. You know, another one of my homies got off the road and completely just like got out of music. Yeah. So I had that as well. Yeah. And I just knew I had to like reapproach what I wanted to do, you know, long term. Uh, and yeah, man, when I got back home, I, I started to do some like just small things. Like I became a vegetarian, you know, growing up as a Haitian American, my family would just like cook traditional food. So I would never eat outside of my food groups. So I thought, you know, to myself, after watching what the health, of course, yeah. you know, mixing a little bit of propaganda with some facts, but mostly like I'd eaten the same types of food growing up. So I figured, okay, if I could switch up my diet, maybe it would spark my brain and like make me feel better about myself. Focusing I, on you. Yeah. Again. Focusing on myself. Cause I felt, I felt depressed on that tour bus. I was like, I'm not happy. I need to feel better. So switched up my diet, stopped drinking alcohol. I got off Instagram so I could like focus on my journey and not really have to like keep tabs on what everyone else was doing at the time. And, you know, I think we're in an age where we just compare ourselves to what we see. For sure. And you don't get the big story. I mean, it's it's, it's tough. It's it's so automatic. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like when we start really comparing, it's not when we're elated. No. Somebody that's on their path doesn't have time to start comparing. Yeah. It takes away from what you got going. And but you're only get, seeing the best, too. Yeah, and when we get those peaks, but then we're going to see a picture of, you know, <laughs> for example, you at Coachella, G behind you, Jamidio there, you just chilling, woo. Or you on the tour bus with 24, all these cats, just like, it looks magnificent. But Lord knows a motherfucker internally is not happy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's that's easy. But that's where... Self comes into play. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to you always getting to a point. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Like always <laughs> getting to a point where darkness comes and you have the courage to revert and also the wherewithal to revert back to self. Man, you got to make that decision. Because it, it, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Self is the scariest part. Mm-hmm. Self is the, yo, what is happiness? Self is finding out that the only person that truly matters in anybody looking at your life or looking at your career with an opinion is your reflection in the mirror. Absolutely. And nothing else. You have to sleep and the thoughts that are in your mind are in your mind. Yeah. At the end of the day, like self is the only person worrying like you worrying about thinking about what you're doing is you. And it's so wild how your career path can you can sacrifice that and we actually do way more than not yeah like it's always i'll be happy later or i'll take care of myself later or i have to live like this for this this is what it means this is part of everything i'm just the same way i'm going to be broke same way i'm going to sleep on couches i'm going to have to be unhealthy i'm going to have to do like Mm -hmm. all these things we start to sacrifice until we get to that end of the road where it's like, wait a minute, is all, does this really mean that? Is this the only option? Is this real? Or, you know, it, it's so interesting that you got to that place of, hold up, like, is this it? Is this really the path that I'm going to continue on? Or am I just so caught up in 
the habit and routine of chasing this thing because I've been like this for so long. I think that's such a powerful thing for, uh, for anyone. It's such a hard industry, especially the music industry is such a hard industry. And, um, it's because it's so competitive. As soon as you, you, you stop, there's going to be someone younger, work harder, um, have better ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's going to take, you know, that'll do everything you do for free. (laughs) That'll come right the the next day. Mm -hmm. There's always that too. And there's a lot of fear that kind of comes with challenging your happiness during your path Mm -hmm. because there's so much you can actually risk by losing it um, the way this industry is. Aside from it being like so deeply relationship built, it's just so hyper competitive too that I think people do ignore their personal happiness for sure or even don't explore what the fuck it is no because you're, you're too busy trying to make it yeah yeah you know like for me hitting rock bottom was when i actually started looking towards my personal happiness yeah to me rock bottom allowed me to stop focusing or even thinking about the prospect of what other people were thinking about knowing that nobody has the time to even think about what but like being crossed up in that world of just what am I doing? This is my title. This is this is who I am. This is how they see me. Yeah. As opposed to being like, what the fuck do I want? Mm-hmm. When am I going to stop focusing on being, keeping everybody afloat while I'm drowning? Yeah. And just say, look, I got to let everybody go because if I don't, I'm going to die here. You know what I'm saying? And those types of moments where it's like there's nowhere lower to go mentally physically personally that i found the most liberating freedom from you know what i'm saying like imagine being that guy that everybody looked at like yo noosh gets it done noosh has everybody's back noosh is able to connect with anybody noosh knows everybody right but when in reality, it was also, yo, Noosh, you just have this energy, bro, like that smile. Like, how are you always so positive when I'm dead inside? When a motherfucker's looking at me saying, yo, bro, you brought me so much life. What we spoke about, bro, I decided to go for it and I'm living a new life now. And I'm just like, wow. When you're talking to yourself through somebody else, you feel me? But that's what it takes sometimes. I actually value and I'm so enamored by your ability to have reached moments in life where you understood self was so important, right, in this game. While also knowing that the group was important as well. But for me, it was just, I just believed I had to carry everybody on the shoulders. And I thank every God on planet Earth for rock bottom happening the way it did because it quickly got out of that and mentally it changed but we have to go we have to be able to embrace these dark moments and understand that it's okay to not know who the fuck we are Mm -hmm. it's okay to not know what we want just yet clear as day make this choice get there but it's also okay to find out who we are our own way. Absolutely. And the reality, like you said, is, you know, when you, before you make that decision, Mm. 
there's so much pressure and doubt, right? For but sure, when you do, bro. it's so shocking how quick bro. it actually happens. Like the second you stop and reassess, change some things, your brain very quickly starts thinking about different things. Yeah. Bro. You know, you get like a rewiring that happens. For real. Yeah. And it just comes from, you know, acknowledging, okay, I'm unhappy. I'm feeling this way. Why am I feeling this way? Okay, I've not been taking care of myself. What can I do to take care of myself? All right, cool. Now when I wake up every single morning, I'm not going to go straight to my phone because once I go to my phone, I haven't given myself any time to decide how I feel about the day. Mm. That's powerful. From yourself. From myself. Before I go into the matrix, and yeah. you know how it is. Once you open the phone, For sure. you're, you're going to your text, you're going to Twitter, Instagram, For you're sure. checking out the articles online, mm -hmm. you're getting a phone call, you're immediately in the world with an energy that you don't even know. You're in a vacuum already. You know, and, and for me, I was like, okay, let me change the way I start my day. Maybe that'll help me feel better about myself by the end of the day. Mm. Stop checking my phone when I woke up. Mm. And instead of checking my phone, I would, you know, say a prayer. I'd start to meditate. Every morning, I also, I realized I hadn't read books consistently in over two and a half years since I started chasing. And so for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to use this time while I'm meditating to listen to an audio book. You know, I might not be able to sit down and physically go through books anymore, but I'm going to listen to an audio book, you know, 30 or 45 minutes of an audio book every single day while I'm stretching. <sighs> then I'm going to get some breakfast. I'm going to go sit on my balcony because I realized I have this balcony in my apartment. And up until that point, I hadn't sat on my balcony wow and just enjoy the view something as simple as that i was like you know what i'm gonna start eating my breakfast every morning outside on my balcony <sighs> before i check my phone i'm gonna go eat decide how i feel about the day ahead of me going to the gym there'd be like 20 minutes uh left in this routine where i could check my phone and if anything was burning i could put it out but otherwise, I'll put it away, go to the gym, get my workout, go home, you know, shower, eat. Then I'd get into my day. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I was off of the road. So I was able to do, mm -hmm. you know, do this every morning. I know everybody's days don't start the same and you don't for have sure. enough time. You know, you might not have as much time um, every single time. But for me, it was just important to to do that while I started the transition from being gone every single day to like what you were saying, figuring out what adds to my happiness. And I started going to the studio more now that I wasn't on the road because I'd started managing business boy who for me, I was like, man, I don't think I'd manage any other producer at this point anymore because he's like the ideal client. You know, he's been doing this for over 10 years. So the way he views himself is you know somebody who's put in work and who's going to continue to put in work but knows their worth while they're doing that sure and so he you know views himself as like a jimmy jam terry lewis teddy riley Incredible. quincy jones pharrell kind of producer like you know he's going to be here for a while and you know he's the kind of guy to work with you know 
any artist on the three tiers from like the major artists like you're just <coughs> Bieber's to you know the second tier artists like you know somebody who's I guess where black is at now yeah and then buzzing on the ascent. yeah and then on that third tier where they're just now coming up like you know um, some of the newer guys and he'll work with anybody he just has to fall in love with the music and he'll just whatever it is incredible doing so starting to work with him he's also collaborative so I started to go to the studio just so I could understand, you know, the language that they were speaking in the studio. For sure. And I think it's important when you're jumping into whatever you're doing to really immerse yourself in in it. Mm. Absolutely. You know, not one foot in, one foot out. Like, you really have to immerse yourself into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And so I did that and, you know, I started a... A, a notes page in my in my phone of just the people that I would connect, the creatives, the writers, the producers that I would connect just by being in these studio sessions that we were setting up. And I ended up connecting with like 150 producers and writers within the first like five months of working with him. Wonderful. And for us, it was like, you know, we have a plan. We got to start, you know, structuring the business. We got to start, you know, allowing you to work in all these different studios. Because at the time, he was just making music out of his place you know, out of his apartment. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's build like a, let's build a storefront for this. Where are some studios we can get in and, you know, really have a presence there mm. and continue to be invited back. And, um, you know, throughout that, that whole journey, I started to like realize, man, I feel really good about, um, being able to connect with these different people. Mm. You know, I was a and r in a sense. I was managing, but I was a and r I was, you know, going to lunches, going to the dinners and taking the meetings across town and going to, you know, connect over here and, and, sure. and, and yeah. then going to a show and just funding all of this, though, on my own from what I had saved being on the road. <laughs> yeah. And when you're managing a producer, you know, it's tough sometimes because... You eat what you kill. You eat what you kill and then, you know, you got to follow up with the, with the labels to, to get paid. The Everybody, front ends, the back ends. a musician mm. can, you know, attest to how annoying that is. Yeah. But it's part of, you know, the business, the business of music that we chose to be in. So for me, it was like, all right, I'm in this place now where I'm like, I'm still independent. I'm figuring this out. I don't know how long I can continue to self-fund trips to New York, trips to Toronto for sure while helping somebody build their career. So I started to think, man, maybe I need to like partner up with somebody or, you know, figure a situation out at a label uh, or whatever. And so I just opened up my mind to the opportunity. Like mm. a friend of mine had reached out and was like, Hey, you know, so-and-so this label is looking for people to come in and, you know, do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, I'd never thought about working at a label or a company since I'd started because I was just going from gig to gig. Like mm-hmm. this person would recommend me for this. So at that time I didn't even have a, a resume wow. for music, you know, and mm-hmm. not that I'm proud of not having a resume for however long. It's just like, yo, I just, you I was just one. moving yeah. from thing to thing. So then I, I got to a place where I had a conversation with a friend. They were like, yo, you should try it. You know, you should apply for this. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to you know, get my resume together. And so that, started to open up my mind towards like other possibilities and what I wanted to do as an executive in music and how I wanted to approach the game and really try and figure out a way to push the career forward. For sure. You know, and I got to a place where I was, I felt like I was kind of stuck for a little bit. Um, and that was, that was a tough place to be at, to, you know, to see so many different, uh, you know, the counterparts, your colleagues, you know, succeeding on all these different levels. And yeah. you're like, 
taking a step back from what you were successful at to try your hand at something that you have no experience and you haven't had success at yet. Um, so yeah, I think it was important during that time for me to focus on myself, mm -hmm. which is why I'm happy I gave myself that break away from social media to really sure. just focus and, and get my mind right so that when the opportunities would start coming, I could have a clear mind and a clear heart to be able to operate and discern certain things through. Um, yeah, and then I think around top of this year, I started really meeting and sitting down with a bunch of different A&Rs and people were starting labels and people were moving around. And, you know, I sat down with just about everybody, but I felt like, man, everybody's just moving kind of slow. Like, you know, I, I really want to figure out a way to continue to manage, but then also, you know, join some sort of company or entity um, to continue to develop my career. And had a conversation, a few conversations at the time, you know, we had a very strong, um, first three months business boy. He was, I think we were averaging like a release every single week mm. for the first like 12 or 13 weeks. And this is after like those five or six months that we spent just in studios sure. moving around, all that stuff started to pay off. And so people were, you know, calling in like, yo, we want biz for this session and we need them for here. And then people were starting to ask us, are you guys published yet? And biz wasn't published and still isn't published. So, you know, I started having those conversations with publishing companies and, you know, led to opportunities to meet, you know, some of the people that I've started, I, I've looked up to in music. You know, I remember uh, a good friend of mine named Ashley told me about this dude, Sycamore, that she was starting to study and like she was living in New York at the time and she was like freelance writing and writing for a few different publications and she wanted to somehow figure out a way to transition to a and R mm. and she wanted to work with this guy Sycamore and this is like 2016 and she hadn't met him yet. And so, you know, fast That's forward, an incredible human being, man, bro. he's a great, one dude. of the most genuine and self-crafted human beings on this planet. Fast forward a year later, Ashley ends up through, you know, what was supposed to happen connecting with Sycamore. So then she becomes Sycamore's assistant. And she's now looking to make a move out to L.A. And I'm like, all right, cool. You know, she comes out to L.A. And so she's now working at Interscope. And I'm like, yo, I'd love to, to connect with Sycamore. You got to set up the meeting. Finally get the meeting to sit down with Sycamore after two years of her just like telling me about this guy. And we sat down within like the first 30 minutes. He's like, yo, I got to introduce you to, you know, Joey. I got to introduce you to all these different people. Like, yo, you're going to be special. Like, I really appreciate what you're doing. And I'm like, what? Like. I haven't even started yet, but to have that conversation with him, it meant a lot. Yeah. And he you know, sees it. He's been through like hell and back everything. Yeah. You know, he's somebody whose story like I really appreciate. I think it's important for everyone to have those people that like to them are the epitome of success yeah. in whatever area it is. And, you know, when I sat down with him, I was like, man, this dude is just as soft-spoken, if not more soft-spoken than I am. And just <laughs> so, sure. you know, intellectual. And that conversation, you know, I'll remember <clears throat> forever. Yeah. And, you know, a few weeks later, um, another mentor to me, Walter Jones, hit me and was like, yo, I was, you know, having a conversation with Sycamore. Um, have you ever thought about doing A&R? 
And I was like, nah, I never really thought about it before, but, you know, keep me posted. You know, at this point, I'd sat down with everybody. So I was like, yeah, keep me posted. I'll send my resume. You know, I'll go through the motions. Yeah. I never want to be one of those guys that's just like, nah, nobody's hitting me back. So I'm yeah. just like, set everybody out. I'm like, nah, I'll continue to like, you know, to, to send my resume around. And then I get an email from the head of A&R at Universal Music Publishing. And he reached out and said, hey, you know. I got your resume from Walter. Love to sit down with you. Got this email on a Saturday. So I'm like, who's sending emails <laughs> on, on Saturday? Saturday? Yeah. All right, cool. I'll, I'll meet with him. I met, sat down with him on Tuesday. And I'm like, you know, I walk into the, <laughs> to the meeting already knowing the conversation that we were going to have. Because I'd had it so many times sure. in the last month, two months. And I you know, kept the same energy. I'm like, you know what? This is a new opportunity, a new conversation. I'm going to take the meeting. At least I'll have, you know, another connection, another sure. you know, ally, hopefully. Make an impression. Make an impression. You know, I'm, I know exactly what we're going to talk about from the 45, 50 minute meeting we're going to have. Do that. Tuesday comes. Wednesday. Thursday, I get a call. He's like, yeah, we'd like to offer you a situation over here at University Music Publishing. I'm like, what? Like, that was literally the first thing I said. And he was like, you sound surprised. And I'm like... No, I didn't think you guys would move so quickly, you know, and in that conversation, I told him, I was like, look, you know, I'm a manager. I'm, I'm managing business boy. That's kind of how I've even gotten to this point where we're even having a meeting. Right. I wouldn't want a situation where, you know, as a young executive, a young black executive that I have to like stop what I'm doing, you know, to join a company that's not going to support anything else I'm doing. And he was sure. like, no, 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 that's not the, that's not the vibe at all. You know, he was just giving me different examples and I was like, all right, cool. You know, I'll see if this checks out for sure. And, you know, I think back to your point about like finding, you know, that value in your work mm. and being able to say, yo, I'm worth this much. And, you know, this is all that I, that, that comes with what I do. I finally was at that point for the first time in my career where I was like, yo, this has to be on my terms if I'm going to do this. If I'm going to do anything moving forward, it has to be, you know, to a certain degree on my terms because mm. I'm starting to to see my value and my worth. And, you know, I'm I'm crazy enough to figure this out on my own outside of anybody else. So, yeah. you know, I got to be compensated as such. You know, we got to figure a situation that's really going to speak to where music is at right now. And yeah. Especially, you know, where I think it's going everybody has wears different hats everybody's not just a you know uh, an a and r everybody's not just a you know photographer everybody especially here has like these side hustles for and sure i feel like whatever you, whatever situation you join like there has to be like a, a respect for everything it is that you're doing yeah absolutely because absolutely. it all ties it all ties back to like you know b this being a relationship business mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if i'm making my mark and my impressions and on people by doing different things now that I'm here, I can't stop doing any of these right. things. Facts. You know, it wouldn't really make sense for me. And so, yeah, I found a situation that really embraced what I was doing on the management side. And, you know, he just pretty much said, look, we want you to bring that same energy into this building. Incredible. You know, because sometimes there's a disconnect between, you know, people that are at these labels or these buildings and these publishing companies where they don't really understand the writers or the producers much. Sure. They haven't they haven't been on a tour bus uh, the day of a sold out show. They've been in the system. Day of a sold out show. Been on a tour bus and the artist wakes up and says, I don't want to do the show. <laughs> and having that conversation 
Giving Martin having, Luther King I have a dream speeches. Man, and having to like pull from so many different places <laughs> to just get this person to like forget about your girlfriend issues and to just do the show. And for me, I felt like that was something unique that I was able to bring to the table. Absolutely. You know, the fact that I had just spent the last seven months, seven, eight months in studios with these writers, with these producers, with these managers, with these A&Rs, building the relationships that, you know, hopefully will be able to translate on the executive side. And yeah, you know, I just, I, I didn't expect uh, the conversation to lead to, you know, an offer so quick, but I knew, you know, as soon as they called, you know, he was pursuing me as if I was a writer or producer. Mm. And so I'm like, man, it's crazy when you really believe in yourself and you, you stick to what you, you know, is like in your heart, what you feel you should be doing. People around you will start to see you as that and see you for that too. Mm. Um, So yeah, man, I'm just, I'm just thankful, man. Cause there were some times like the end of last year, I'm like, I don't know how I'm about to pay rent in two months. Well, and, and that's such a, such a great point. I mean, it's so easy to not, value yourself and not put up those boundaries and say, I got to take this job because I want some stability. I want to be with a successful company and I'm just going to take the offer and not invest in yourself or not bet on yourself completely. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a, a very, that, that could be a very smart move for a lot of people, but for you to, even though momentum was still building, during that time with the release is coming and mm-hmm. you're still a bit in flux with your, your financial situation yeah. the security of your future. There's still new endeavor as a yeah. manager. Yeah. Um, but to be able to, to still say like it needs to be on my terms. Yeah. I feel like that's almost in some way, like a through line to betting on yourself again, mm-hmm. saying I'd rather continue to live in uncertainty mm-hmm to pursue what I know it's really important to me, you know, if they're on my terms. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and just to take a look at like where that comes from for you and and looking deeper, when you come to those decisions every time, do you have that moment with yourself where you really have to like hold up that, that line, hold up that, that bar for yourself, for your own standards, for your own dreams, for your own, ambitions Mm. is that difficult do you get does for a moment it do you stop and say like can i really do this can i really is this really the right move do you come to that crossroads with yourself during that moment man i think we all struggle sometimes with that with that self-doubt like is this really gonna work something goes wrong and you know the plan or the idea you had won't work. Mm. You know, I was on the elevator on my way up here and I read a sign and I'm like, dang, that's going to stick with me for a while. It was like, you know, if the plan doesn't work, change the plan, but keep the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yo, this is, this is some powerful stuff yeah. for me to read on my way to, <laughs> <For real? laughs> to a podcast, man. Like, shout out to the <laughs> HOA. Yo, shout out to HOA, whoever put that up, man. I was in the elevator like, oh, wow, man. this just set a tone. <laughs> but yeah, man, I think for me, it was like, there was no other way I could, you know, there's no point in getting this far to then have to compromise everything like all my nights sleeping on the couch all my you know all the dollars i spent flying myself somewhere like 
if I were to just, you know, end up doing whatever situation on somebody's terms to make somebody else happy, all those moments would be for, for nothing. Yeah. And I couldn't live with that. I could mm. live with trying and failing and, you know, having to pick back up and um, ask for help and, and do what I had to do. But I couldn't live with just not trying and betting mm. on myself. Which which is so interesting of where your values lie, you know. Absolutely. Living with yourself. This drive that you have is really created by living a life of almost no regrets, right? Mm. You know, because that, that's what, what, what I'm trying to get at is like, where is this coming from? What yeah. What is motivating that crossroads moment every single time? Yeah time and time and time and again i think for me like my family they came from haiti like my dad came to this country when he was seven years old my mom came when she was 18 you know they left their comfort they left everything that they knew they were the first ones in their family to come to the united states <clears throat> for you know the same reason they had a dream they had a vision that they wanted to come and have a family here that could thrive in this country that you know is is this you know this global beacon of hope for so many different people mm -hmm. and for me like i always thought there was such a disconnect between my family and i because man like i didn't i thought to myself that look for for them to be able to look at what i'm doing or what i would want to do and look down on it like i just didn't understand it mm. until i started to think okay they made it out of Haiti. Like their dream, they've already reached their dream. So now their dream for us is to have a life of stability because they didn't have that growing yeah. up. So that's where that disconnect growing up came from. And mm. it wasn't until I was able to look back. And so with that same mindset, I'm like, man, okay. So if their dream and their goal was to come to the U.S. to be you know, un uncomfortable, to then be comfortable, then my goal has to be to be as uncomfortable as I can now that I've been given this chance that they didn't have. They didn't have this start that I had. Mm -hmm. So I have to really go as hard as I can because my parents already already did it, mm -hmm. you know, and I have to do it. I have to keep it going. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I think some of that, you know, comes from the fact that I'm a first-generation American. Like you got a legacy. I can't fail. Yeah. You know, I've, we've already come this far. Like, yeah, I have to keep for pushing sure. that. That's that's wild, yeah. for real, and special. I want to I want to take this moment in kind of like the summation, mm -hmm. yeah. And you've always had this kind of talk with yourself or grouping uh, amongst the fibers in your body at moments where there's darkness mm -hmm. and tuning into yourself. Um, I feel genuinely feel like in this moment in your life it's it's far more of an apex mm -hmm. and is only going to go higher from this mm -hmm. point that you've traversed the mountain um and shout out to the mountain climb <laughs> that you did but yeah. in essence i feel like you're at a point where you've looked inwardly so much that now it's looking outwardly yeah. right what is the conversation you're having with yourself now and where is it that you really want to take it? Man, it was crazy because when you uh, when you'd reached out about the show, you know, to be on, I was like, man, like, mama, we made it. 
a part of me was like, man, there's no way you can do this. Like, what do you mean? You haven't even, you, you haven't made it. You haven't done anything, <laughs> you know? And, you know, that comes from like that, that comparing, um, energy for sure that spirit and that quickly goes away when you start to think of it from the perspective that you would talk to me about like look you're going to look back at these times and you're going to be able to look at them as like defining moments Mm -hmm. in in your in your career and just being able to maybe say something on here that would resonate with somebody Mm. to the effect that they would say this conversation i listened to changed my life who am I to to not share my story right now because I don't think it's like pretty enough or where I want it to be mm-hmm. at this moment? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think I'm just I'm I'm at a place where, like you said, I've just been doing a lot of soul searching, and I think for me, I just want to give back as much as the people in my life that have helped me get to this place where I'm at now, where I might think is, you know, nowhere near where I'm going to be, but I want to really be able to inspire people the way Jamil, John Tanners, um, Tunji, Sycamore inspired me to keep going Mm. in my journey. Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at this place like, man, I can take this, I can take this as far as I'm willing to. And I don't know, man. I, I just, I'm just thankful to look back and just be able to really internalize those moments that really don't end up defining who we are. You know, yeah. I read that book, The Outliers, and what really stuck with me was the fact that we all are outliers. We all have these experiences, whether we know it or not, that prepare us for the opportunities that we end up having. Mm, you know, sure. Nobody else would be able to have these opportunities because we have these experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that, but... I'll tell you one <laughs> thing, and I think I can speak for both of us when I say this. I'm so excited for you, and I knew from the second that we spoke and also from being introduced by who we were introduced um, that we would connect. Um, but I'm genuinely proud of your journey thus far. I genuinely appreciate the human being that you are. Like, I truly feel like from this moment forward, it's a lifetime family team. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is like, I look, I look at you, I'm like, this is my brother for life. You know what I'm saying? Anything that I could do and just being here, it's, it's an honor. You feel what I'm saying? And I'm very excited for you. I truly feel like you have, um, an incredible head on your shoulders. You've experienced so many things and your drive and your passion has remained bright. And the way that you look at the world is beautiful. And I truly believe that the world that you're looking at is yourself, Mm. right? And your focus on yourself in this world is truly what's going to define the impact you make outside of it. Mm. And I cannot wait, um, for your continued growth and blossoming. And it's man. truly been an honor, my family, brother, for real. Man, I accept yeah, that man. into my life, man. Yeah. I'm thankful. Love. Thankful for you yeah, guys. Man. Love. And, and, and thank you just for for coming on and, and saying what you did. And 
having the the courage to to mm. share your journey mm-hmm. even to where you're at right now and and overcome those those comparisons or things that you may think about yourself but be vulnerable enough to say like this is all that I've been through yeah. and it's all equally as beautiful and worth it in every moment like we talk about the mama we made it moments could be some of those smallest smallest things and those smallest motivations that got you to pivot to make that decision to do it that first time that five minute conversation that changed your life it's often those little moments that set the tone and it's very rare that that goal we set for ourselves is any type of like making it standard Mm -hmm. because that just gets pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed Mm -hmm. but it's you know we like to highlight those really pivotal times and decisions you have to make when you have nothing that gives you those courage. So to, to, to share that on this platform like you did and to give us your time, man, we're grateful for that. And I think, um, we're really proud and happy to give that to the listeners too. Absolutely. I appreciate that, man. You know, at the end of the day, I just want to be a vessel for whatever God has planned. for You are, you are. Let let me be one of the many to tell you that you feel me. Yeah, man. Thank you guys. Love. Thank you, man. Love. And we out of here. <laughs> Love y'all. Hey, my guys.